It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me mad now. You know, you got a bicycle. Feeling good. Well, the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. We ride the bicycle in the arena. With my man, man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't know where the kid is that was riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Tomorrow, I'll you can kick your face off. I don't know that. But I don't like it when things are going my way. Don't you dare be sour! He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling, like he know that wrestling bro. <laughs> Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What's up ladies and gentlemen out there in internet land and welcome to episode 263 of the Straight Shooters. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pans, Nick Pacone, a Philly voice and Philly influencer. And we got yet another fantastic show ahead of us tonight or today, whatever you listen to this. Uh, we have another deep dive ahead of us, and it's a big one. You know, it's a it's a massive one. It's, it's a big WCW show. We're going back to WCW. And it's very fitting that we're going back to WCW because last week here in the podcast, we were, you, you heard our live, unfiltered reaction to Sting, the franchise of WCW, and former WWE employee for a cup of coffee, making his debut in AEW, All Elite Wrestling. And a lot of people over the last week or so has compared that to what Goldberg has done in WWE for the last couple of years, and even Undertaker, you know, Goldberg. Being over 50 plus and spearing people and winning championships and whatnot, killing the fiend character before it can get off the ground. Mm. Stuff like that. You know, comparing it to Sting, who hasn't done any of that yet, but, you know, whatever. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but it's, you know, it's very fitting that after that happened last week on AEW and the whole discourse over the past week, that we go back to 1997. December 1997 to be exact Starcade 1997 The biggest night In the history of our sport According <laughs> to Tony Schiavone Who said that On multiple occasions on this night And look hey Tony Schiavone Is on AEW today And he's a damn good announcer No, 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 no disrespect to Tony Schiavone whatsoever I've always uh, You know Pounded the table for Tony Schiavone Even before he got to AEW Telling people out here that Tony Schiavone is a legit announcer. But uh, we're going to go back in time, dive deep into Starcade 1997, the biggest show of the year in 97, a culmination of a whole lot of stories, including one massive one in the main event. Uh, but before we dig into that, I got to do my weekly check in with my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone. How are you doing tonight, my good brother? I'm doing uh, better than Carson Wentz is doing at this moment, but uh, yeah, that's about it. I have, I have no comment on the matter, just for the record. <laughs> uh, I always enjoy, uh, you know, bringing up e- these Eagles analogies on this show because I know, like, I could say the worst thing in the world, and you will be like, "No comment." Like, you, you do not want to ever uh, say anything bad or even good. Really about uh, your employer. So uh, the loyalty, the best way to av- the loyalty is strong in Vaughn Johnson. The best way to avoid getting fired is to say nothing at all. <laughs> I ain't got nothing to say, bro. That's yeah, your opinion. Uh, that's Nick's I, opinion, and that's it. 
Uh, it's it's been a crazy few days in Philly for sure, and uh, especially sports wise, uh, especially Eagles wise. So. Uh, yeah, basically the football season's over, so we're looking forward to seeing what the hell Jalen Hurts has. So, at least I am. Look, you know, I know. Focus y- on Sunday, <laughs> and we'll take it from there. That's yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, playing the old New Orleans Saints and Malcolm Jenkins. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, just to just to see, you know, just to see what happens. I'm I'm not thinking playoffs anymore. I'm not thinking anything like that, but. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm thinking about the memes that I can create to to try, to post on Twitter to try and just make people laugh. That's that's why I watch sports, <laughs> not because <laughs> you're like genuinely entertained by it no, or enjoy it. No, who likes sports? because <laughs> because uh, you want to create funny memes. Which I mean, look in 2020 with the way <laughs> things have gone down in sports with like the pandemic and. Got games getting canceled in college football left and right, including Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah, uh, you know they they got to change the rule, the Big Ten to get Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, uh, which is you know it's probably the right decision. I don't know, but you know it's just it's just wild, right? Like BYU and Coastal Carolina played, and like the last minute they weren't even supposed to play each other last week, and they just like agreed to play each other out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became like a real rivalry. <laughs> Right, they were fighting each other. Yeah, they were. Uh, that ain't take long. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, it's just you know the NBA was in the bubble. World Series was in front of like a, a, a couple thousand people or something like that. It's just the way the the sports is played out. It's like sometimes yeah, it's just, like man, just do it for the memes. Yes, yeah, that's I'm just, fun. I'm just here to make people scroll through Twitter and go, ha, that's funny. <laughs> Good lord, because there's enough bad news on Twitter, isn't there? Between politics yeah. oh, and it's a another police shooting somewhere and yeah. COVID, you know, soaring through the roof everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. You know, we need people like you, Nick, to to I give us something to chuckle at. I appreciate uh, it. I'm not chuckling at anything Eagles right now, but uh, <laughs> anything else, I'd be like, oh, that's funny, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, no one. Knowing our luck, the Sixers will trade for James Harden during our show, and we'll like while we record this, and it'll completely throw it off the rails. That's just how this. Because we have been on the air for massive Sixers news in the past. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So that's just how how our show rules. Sixers like, oh, they on the air? Announce that trade right now. (laughs) Get it out the way. Go ahead and do it. Crush their crush everything they're doing. Yep. You'll, probably, you'll get the notification before I do. I'm sure. <laughs> right, right. You know, like ten, ten seconds before I do, I'll hear you react to it, and then I'm like, "What?" And then I look at my phone and be like, "Oh, <laughs> oh, big time, well, big then. deal." Well then, big deal. Speaking hey, of a the, big deal, maybe the Phillies can sign JT Real Muto during this recording. That'd be nice. That, that, you know, we can we can hope. <laughs> you know, I'll hope. Um. That's but Philly's talk, yeah. Damn it! Not happy with your NFL picks or fantasy lineup? Luckily, we have you covered. Follow Fox Sports The Gambler for its Sunday service. This is what we needed. Our sports wagering wizard, Mark Drumheller, fantasy guru, Tony Jigsaw Catillo, and Eagles insider, Victor Williams, serve up a Sunday feast. That's what you do, TV! Of winning players, picks, and everything you need to start your work week off on the right foot. Always tune into Fox Sports The Gambler on the iHeartRadio or 102.5 FM. Speaking of a big deal, Starcade 1997 was a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? It was 
the epitome of wrestling like in 1997 like big show there were big shows after big shows but like everything it, it almost felt like even when I watched the WWF that I was thinking about Sting and Hogan you know from like wow Mars on like it, it's it was that big it was the epitome of what uh really the not only the end of the year but like the entire year of 1997 and, and wrestling you know ECW did a similar thing putting up Taz and Sabu even the year prior into 1997 but you know that was on a, a lower scale obviously Sting and Hogan WCW the, the epitome of what pro wrestling is all about and what sh- should be all about and I just loved it. Yeah, you, that you can't talk about this show in this proper context without mentioning the angle going in, which for those who may not remember, you may not be old enough to remember, or maybe you have, you're not old enough, but maybe you've gone back and watched, but some people, are, I'm sure they're out there that are still unfamiliar. So WCW had the NWO debut in mid-1996. June or July, something like that, right? Back to the beach. 1996, yeah. right? Yeah, technically, That was the yeah. first night of the New World Order. Hogan turned heel for the first time since the AWA or, or Rocky Three or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, he hadn't been heel in over, well over a decade since he was Thunderlips, all right? <laughs> and in that match was Sting. He was one of the people that was getting beat up, and he was, you know, getting stomped on in the name yeah. of WCW. Well, he disappears after that. Mind you, before that, Sting was known as, even though Hogan was there, even though Savage was there, before they got there, Sting was the guy in WCW. He was the franchise. And they said it on this show, but that's that was true. From the early and from the early nineties on to like 95, 94, 95 when when Hogan got there and Savage got there, Sting yeah. was the guy. Yeah. He was the ultimate baby face, the ultimate face of that promotion. He was Mr. WCW. And he was pretty much for years until 2015, Mr. Not WWE. Like, that's how much, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but he was Mr. WCW. And then he disappears for, and I think he has some personal issues. I'm not sure if he had personal issues or whatnot. I can't remember exactly why. But WCW capitalized on this immensely by. Sting go away for months, right? And he was, you know, before he left, he was this colorful, vibrant, exciting yell, woo, to the fans. And, you know, he had the, the music, this, the man called Sting, had the music and the whole thing. And he goes away for months. And you don't see him again. And the next time you see him, he's up in the rafters of an arena. <laughs> Just hanging out, chilling, no color, black and white, long hair. I think he had long hair before when the NWO debuted, but not like yeah, down his back. Like, he was like growing it out already, and it was dark. There was like no hint of blonde in that. <laughs> right. Because that's, that's nothing. He had the blonde, the blonde buzz cut, you know. Yeah. And he's just hanging out up there. And it's like, what the? Was that Sting? What, what's Sting doing up there? And that happened for weeks and weeks and weeks. And eventually he starts coming down to the ring, beating up members of the NWO and playing mind games with them. And he 
he makes it clear that he wants Hogan. This this has played out over the course of like a year and a half, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah. he did not have a single match, and I think he's probably said like two words, if that many, before Starcade nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, he did same thing. It was it was like Hogan. <laughs> yeah, like, I want Hogan. The last uh, promo he ever gave was uh, that he was a free agent. And uh, it was the day after War Games because th- they set that up pretty perfectly to to morph into that. <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> that Sting Crow character where you know NWO came up with a they created a fake Sting that you know in the dark <laughs> could fool people into thinking he was the real Sting, and he attacked Lex Luger in the rain outside or you know Nitro, and it was dark and couldn't really tell. And then War Games happened. Uh, Horseman and Luger don't believe Sting. They think he's like NWO. He winds up coming in, tearing up the NWO inside the war games. And then he's like, how's that for you? And then he leaves. <laughs> so it's almost like, man, like you came and you, you basically said, hey, I'm WCW, but then you abandoned WCW because you know you thought they abandoned him. So it was so, so... Uh, I'd say thoughtful, for lack of a better term, but how they just morphed into this character to make him just sit in the rafters and like a loner. It didn't happen like just a snap of the fingers. It was like, wow, WCW doesn't believe in me, then I'm just going to go my own way. And then eventually, finally, he was like, yeah, Hogan's the guy. He he would point to the crowd, you know, and J.J. Dillon would be like, I don't know what you want, Sting. And it was clearly, <laughs> They're saying clearly it. obvious. And he would just point to the crowd, and the crowd was chanting Hogan. And it, it, lack of a, like, Tony Schiavone didn't want to just come out and say it. He'd be like, well, I think the fans know what Sting wants. <laughs> you know, like, and that's my Tony Schiavone impression. No, yeah, that wasn't a good one. No, not at all. I don't know what the hell that well, was. The rec- let the record reflect that was not a I, good impersonation. I'm sorry, Tony. Tony. I am sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just at, just the whole lead up. Everything about it created the at- buzz and atmosphere that I it brought it all back when I br- watched this. I watched this like at least once a year. You know, I don't. It just it brings me back to that moment, that time frame. And thank, thank goodness it was after Christmas because if it was the week before, I wouldn't have been able to order it because <laughs> I used my Christmas money to, to order it. So. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> now you're not going to use your Christmas money on some clothes, yeah. on a cool toy. No, I need to see Starcade, baby. Hell yeah. Because I, I wasn't given, you know, obviously my, my parents knew that they didn't watch wrestling. Like my dad watched it here and there. My mom watched it here and there. But uh, they knew like it was a big pay-per-view coming up, but they were just kind of like they they didn't give me any assurances that they were going to order it for me. So I had to make sure that you know, listen, I'll give you my Christmas money, please order it. <laughs> so it it also taught me a lesson that uh, you know, give your money up. I guess <laughs> you're gonna be spending your money like this for the rest of your life. Damn, <laughs> like, you better get ready. Yeah, this is how it's gonna be when you get older. But <laughs> like you said, that whole story built up to this fever pitch and it culminated on this night December 28th 1997 Starcade okay this was the biggest show of the year in wrestling and I, I know Shivani kind of said this is the biggest show in the history of wrestling that might have been a bit of an older overstatement but <laughs> this was the biggest show of 1997 for either WWF ECW like all the promotions this was it this WWF didn't have a card or a main event with this type of build at all 
I mean, I know some people are, well, what about Shawn Michaels and HB, uh, and Bret Hart at Survivor Series? Not quite. Not that same. wasn't this. You know, at Survivor Series, that wasn't this. And even Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, tremendous match. The build was great. Not like this. No, okay. there was really nothing that touched. If you want to talk about builds from week to week, uh, the, the fact right. that it was like a year and a half wasn't so much as it was just the story. Like, it was perfect. And, yeah. you know, the fact that it took a year and a half is like you you wanted to see it with every fiber of your being. Like, you wanted to see it. I didn't really right. didn't get that with Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, or even Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. I was interested in it, but I wasn't, like, clawing, you know, like, throwing my right. money at my parents please order this <laughs> and here's the funny part about this show and we're going to dig into it is that they had people like nick and the whole wrestling world fixated they had to watch this show and we're going to talk about how wcw fumbled this bag <laughs> so relentlessly it's like they sabotaged themselves like they couldn't help themselves mm. but to throw monkey wrenches multiple monkey wrenches in this at every turn and i wouldn't say it was necessarily the beginning of the end of wcw per se i think people after this show were kind of turned off maybe and then wwf gets mike tyson and that was kind of a maybe a muddled finish but definitely cleaner than this mess we got on starcade but the tide started turning once 1998 came and go even though goldberg was running white hot 98 he, he couldn't say wcw for being usurped by wwf but i think the root of wcw's issues to, to come in the coming years kind of started on this night because they they had it they had it right there this golden opportunity and like i said they fumbled this bag in multiple ways and we're going to dig all into it but before that, there's a whole show before that Sting Hulk Hogan match, right? There's a whole bunch of other yeah, matches. Yeah, that, that'll actually lend even more credence to, to what you just said, where the right hand was not understanding or even knowing what the left hand was doing. It's crazy. Yeah, and we talked about a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month, a couple months ago, actually now, because it's December, we talked about Halloween Havoc 98 as compared to Halloween Havoc 97. And 97 was a damn good show. Man, that just feels like weeks ago that we were talking yeah, about it's that. Only, it's Damn. a couple months ago now. Shit. But, you know, by 98, though, it was like, what the hell is WCW doing? <laughs> That's, this is, it pretty much, be, that statement pretty much began on this night. It's like, what in the hell are they doing, actually? Like, what is going on here? So, let's get into it. Uh, the show starts off with a fantastic video package about Sting and Hogan. It was super cinematic super dramatic and it was just like wow this is like the most like dramatic and cinematic thing i've ever seen in pro wrestling like it was like i don't think we seen saw too many things like this in pro wrestling before this before this angle like what it felt like a movie is sure this is sting's character is based off of a movie so like easy yeah. source material kind of um but you didn't see that in wrestling. Which I didn't even know, by the way. I didn't know it was based off a movie. I didn't even... Right, you're like, like yeah. 8, 9, 10. Yeah. You're not going to see The Crow. The Crow's rated R, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I didn't see The Crow until I was an adult. So, or in college or something. So, I still yeah. haven't seen it, by the way. But that doesn't surprise you, does it? I'm not... Look, no. I'm not surprised at all. That's... um, What's Bruce Lee's son's name? I can't remember his name. Brandon Lee. His final mm -hmm. movie before he passed away. He was the crow. 
I think it was his final movie. I don't even know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he died on the set of The Crow. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah. I think it was... Stuck on wrong. Be, he's, yeah, he's supposed to get shot with a blank. And oh, no. I think it was a real bullet. Oh, oh that's not I good. think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. He's supposed to get like hit with a blank. And, a, a, you know, and, and it was a real bullet and killed him on the set of the movie, which is wild. Um, but yeah, like back to what I was saying, though, you know, it, this package is just dope. You just like, even though I knew what was going to happen because I've seen this show before, it's still, you, get, you can't help but get caught up in this story and get captivated in this story. It's like the perfect good versus evil it's like a movie it felt like a movie it literally mm-hmm. felt like a movie like the guy the bad guy comes in and he takes over whatever the case may be and he's running roughshod for a long time and the good guy goes away and finds himself somewhere and he comes back a new man you know he went to it he was in a dark place and and comes back all brand new and, and it's just i i loved it like uh the whole issue I, I had at first was I was angry because he was in black and white and obviously the NWO colors are black and white and I'm like how can what even in wrestling sense why why wouldn't people just believe he's with not with the NWO like it's ridiculous and but they played it you know really well uh, they even kind of hinted towards him joining the NWO like Hulk Hogan hugged him and whatnot and all this and it just you just kind of like we're like what the hell and then uncensored happened it was in march it was right after wrestlemania 13 and i remember this because i this was one of the pay-per-views that i <clears throat> accidentally ordered i'm telling you man i just turned on the pay-per-view channel and it was on so okay I, okay I, I didn't touch anything i didn't call anyone so it was just on and i don't know how that happened um I don't even know if it was reflected in the cable bill. I, I can't even ask my dad. He won't remember that far back. But, um, it. I was just like, oh, okay. I guess I'll watch this. And that was the night Sting made it clear his intentions. Uh, for people like me who I still wasn't sure like what was going on. I was like, is he NWO? Is he WCW? And then that was the night. So, uh, from March to December, you knew. Uh, Sting's intentions that whole time. So even if it wasn't, it, it it was from March to December. Like that is crazy. Imagine nowadays an angle that even started in March and then climaxed in December. Like like that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, um, you know, it was, every week was appointment viewing. Like Sting would appear on Nitro for maybe like a minute or two. And I'd say 80% of the weeks he would get the upper hand on the NWO. And it was just so awesome. Well, he and should have. No, That's how no, you got to build him up. And, and nobody hated it. You know, it might have been the same thing week after week and just a different type of format. But like him him coming down and saving DDP and bringing him to the rafters. That's probably my favorite ending of a Nitro in that era. <laughs> uh, it was just awesome. And it made me want to be like, you know, I can't wait for Sting to finally get Hogan. And that was for March, you know. So all throughout the spring, summer, and 1997, I've said it before, best year in wrestling, my favorite year in wrestling. And ECW was on fire. WWF was on fire. WCW on fire. And it just, every week, 
something great happened on like every show and I was just so amped and then as you got getting to the fall you know it's kind of like school starts and I'm just kind of like okay whatever like probably won't I'm gonna have to wait till December at least so uh yeah it was just like I'll, I'll never get that back like we're never gonna have that type of timeline again uh for for a wrestling show probably not Probably not. Um, yeah, this was it was it was pretty dope. Uh, we get to now and we're in the arena. Shivani calls it the biggest night in the history of the sport because uh, you know that's what he did back in the day. Uh, he I think he said the same thing about Starcade 1996, uh, <laughs> just a year prior. <laughs> he said the same thing about a, a Nitro in 1999 at some mm-hmm. point. Probably, you know, he said it probably he probably said it about Goldberg beating Hogan in 1998 at, at, at the Georgia Dome on Nitro. Oh, he definitely said it about the finger poke of doom with Hogan and Nash. Oh, Jesus like, Christ! Definitely said that. Uh, he said at the top of the show that there were about 24,000 people in the building, uh, in attendance for the show. You know, well over 24,000. I don't know if that was true because everything I've seen said that it was only 17,500. And this is still a basketball and hockey arena in D.C., then the MCI Center. Mm-hmm. Now it's Capital One Arena. Uh, where the, it's where the Wizards and the Capitals play uh, in D.C. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if 24,000 is necessarily true. They didn't have a massive, massive stage. that took up a bunch of seats, but... I don't know. He said well, twenty-four thousand. They had a bunch of wrestlers taking up a bunch of seats, though. They did. I, oh, I was going to talk about that. Um, but this was the first ever event, wrestling event in that building. So historic, you know, MCI Center. Okay. Also hosted Backlash two thousand, which one, probably one of my favorite oh, wow. shows of all time. The uh, MCI Center or Verizon, it was Capital One Arena now, actually. Um, speaking of the stage, the Starcade stage, despite it being the biggest show of the year. It's supposed to be WCW's WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. The stage is pretty lame. I don't know. I, I like the it. stage is pretty lame. I liked it. I mean, it's what was it? Literally, it was just an entrance and then the logo. And it's like you don't need anything else, baby. It's Starcade. What? No, no. It, it's the mm-hmm. the center of everything. Halloween Havoc. You have a theme. World War Three. You have a theme. Starcade. Your theme is greatness. You don't need to go crazy. So. Greatness is a black curtain and an arch. Yeah, it's That's amazing. all it is. It's great. Nah, man. That's you all need you need. That. Perfect. You need it was perfect. You need more than that. Night. The Nitro set looked better than that. Come on now, well, dude. The Nitro. How set does Nitro like look more the, important than the, Starcade? It's Nitro, just a black curtain uh, with a card with listen, a board sign like a what? Listen, they the Nitro. The Nitro set was ridiculous. That was way too much going on. Way too well, much. But that's my point. You gotta up the ante on that. But then. that uh, uh, uh. For Starcade. Eh. Look at WrestleMania but, sets every year. Even like eh. even the WrestleMania fourteen set from in ninety eight, you know, a couple it months was, later. It was a circle. Yeah, but it it looked like it there's more to it. Like there's lights around it, which the lights would change colors, not just a board and an arch and a black curtain. But like the Star K, the Star K logo was like amazing. So it was fine. You didn't really need it. It was fine. And then was, you know, coming across and or uh, coming through the entrance and kind of right next to the logo, I thought that was great. It was fine. <laughs> I was, I was just, a big fan of it because 
you know, WCW did all these theme shows with the, these theme sets, and like, what can you do with Starcade? Like, it's something. It's just, but what's something? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you this much: wrestling at this point did not have extravagant sets and stages. No. Like, that wouldn't come for the next year or two. WWF pretty much set the standard on that. Even though Halloween Havoc was the best set in WCW history in 98. Um, But WWF by 99, by 98 even, I think they had a unique set for every show. Um, Definitely into 99. And they set the standard on that. So, and then they stopped doing it a couple years ago. And I'm still disappointed by that. But, um... Yeah, this was just for a big show. Eh. I don't know. I, I I thought it was great just based on, you know, all you need is the Starcade like, logo, man. It's the biggest w, show like, of the year. WWF, even though they hadn't really done anything for WrestleMania 12 or 13, but in the past, or WrestleMania 11 for that matter, <laughs> they just had like the little entranceway or whatever yeah, with the yeah. sign on it. But like WrestleMania 9 was like, this whole theme like and i understand it. you like i said it's a theme show so it's easier to do that but like they would debut a new type of set at wrestlemania some some years like wrestlemania 8 at the, the little the, the thing with the lights on it like the light up yeah the neon uh right the neon, neon thing things. but they didn't they would use that on raw and like or television yeah. shows after that but that started at wrestlemania 8 it was pretty dope it's like oh this is a new this is a special yeah. thing because it's a special event like right maybe that's just me no, I, I, maybe I understand I, where you're you know. coming from because it, for especially for WCW, it looked kind of plain. But I just loved it, I guess, because the whole it, it was more serious. I guess it wasn't like we're watching a circus or anything like that. Like it was like, okay, this is the biggest event. We're just gonna have the entrance, Sting and Hogan. This is what it's about. I, I appreciate Estrav, and I get to what you're saying too. But I appreciate just making your event feel massive like making your event feel big yeah. like you watch the super bowl they got the, the end zones painted up they could just leave the the end zones normal but they don't <laughs> they paint them up different for each team to customize it for each team uh you know they have the, the team entrances got the, all the flames and i don't know if they have flames anymore i think they actually took away <laughs> flames yeah, at football the, games the field uh because the mishap i think like the that. titans game because yeah. i think it's a titans game where the thing the thing fell yeah. over or something like that yeah. oh, that was nuts. <laughs> but but they have more lights in the stadium there's just more it just feels and looks more extravagant you know what i'm saying yeah i got you. um it, we need that for wcw needed something extra they needed some more oomph than <laughs> just just that so that's just me that's my opinion um all right so here's the thing you mentioned this earlier the next thing we see are wcw's wrestlers in the crowd because this is a big night this is the biggest night in the history of the sport so everybody's in the building to watch now how did you feel about this nick i had some feelings mine probably i mean given the way your tone is right now my feelings probably aren't as strong as yours but uh i thought it was kind of weird but i I liked it because it's like okay these guys aren't on the card um you know it makes it seem like okay there's not enough room for them backstage because of how big the event is so they're gonna have to watch it from the arena and as you know a 12 year old kid at the time i was like wow like this is important this is awesome you got ray mysterio watching the show from the 
entrance. You know, that's great. That's awesome. I, I kind of dug it. Uh, so here's the thing. <laughs> to me, you make you sat them. Yeah, they have floor seats, but they got like, like Hugh Morris is like in the stands. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, it's a free amongst seat. the people. It's a free seat. They could. They got them their own section. They were sitting amongst fans. <laughs> That's true. They couldn't get them their own section or a luxury suite, maybe. <laughs> you know, because they're stars. Even though they're WCW, they're still stars, right? But they're they're, but then I thought about it. I was like, man, you know, let me calm down because in boxing and UFC, if there's a big fight. There are other boxers and UFC fighters in the crowd, and they'll show them on camera. Hey, there's so and so. Here's so and so, and they'll show them sitting in the crowd, amongst the people. Some might be in the front row, some might be in the fourth row, whatever. UFC does it pretty much every show when there's fans in the stands. Yeah. They don't do it now because there's no fans. <laughs> but when there's fans, they would do a, a maybe multiple times a, a little hit of like, oh, this celebrity's here, this celebrity's there. Look at this fighter's here, and he, the fighter will throw up his fist and whatnot. How you doing? Yeah, whatever. So I'm like, okay, maybe that was it. But that didn't happen for WCW. They, and the same thing for boxing, by the way. Boxing, they do it too. But they didn't do that for WCW. They didn't say, and here's Booker T. And here's Rey Mysterio. <laughs> There's like, There's the WCW, guys. Uh, and Booker T is whipping out his brick cell phone for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm pretty sure he just bought that. And he wanted to show it up. Like, look what I got, baby. WWF's calling him. <laughs> can you do that? Got for you. <laughs> Can you dig my cellular phone, baby? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he whips out his phone. No, he didn't. No damn way they not get a call on that phone. <laughs> but back in 1997, that was like top of the line technology to have on your person. So you had to show it off. That phone probably cost like eight hundred dollars. Oh, Booker T was big time. So he's like, yeah. I got me a cellular phone, girl. Check me out, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but like Ray Mysterio sitting there, like I don't know. I just they didn't give them the individual attention that they would give on a UFC or a boxing card. I know the UFC didn't really that they it existed, but not in the current way that it is now. Mm. Um, it just made it just made them like chumps. Like the NWO guys weren't out there, and if they and it's not like when you have a boxing show or an MMA show, those guys aren't backstage at every show, whereas the wrestlers they are. So they could have easily just sat backstage and watched the show. Why are they in the arena sitting amongst the fans looking like chumps? Here's the guys that weren't good enough to be on the card tonight. Rey Mysterio was just Cruiserweight Champion like two months prior. Now he's sitting in the stands? He's <laughs> so just a fan? It, it, it kind of lent a little cred credibility to me as a 12-year-old. Like I wasn't in ar arenas at yet at that time, so I didn't know like what the layouts were or whatever. But to me, it made sense. It was like, so the locker room's only for the people that are going to be on the show. So it, for me, if you're mm, if you're not on the show, you it, don't need a why locker. would you be back there? So now, like to me, I never thought about in my head, you know, wrestlers watching the show from the stands because I was like, if either you're in the locker room because you're a part of the show, or you're not in the building, and that's you're, fair, whatever. So as you know, as a kid, like for me that's kind of what i was thinking about when i saw them i was like wow like they're not even scheduled to be here and they're here that's how big it is you know type of thing but if peyton manning went to see eli manning play <laughs> he didn't sit in the stands <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa well it was 1997 maybe they weren't even thinking about that 
they should have thought about it. You got to make him like stars at every chance. Like, oh, I want to be here, yeah, but I'm sitting in a luxury suite. Like, I'm trying to be chilling. Like, I've but been they, in luxury suites before, and it's yeah. dope. I'd much rather be in a luxury suite uh, <laughs> than... And next to Johnny. Yeah, next to snot, little Jimmy. It's not Rockets. With his, with his NWO shirt on. Like, <laughs> like get out of here, man. Like, I don't know. It's just... That was just... It just I just, just look weird. It just look weird to me. That's just me. Like we saw, we saw Booker T, Mysterio, Bobby Eaton was there. I didn't know Bobby Eaton was in WCW at this point. Yeah. And Greg Valentine. <laughs> like, yeah, he was. They were probably like Saturday Night Pals or something like that. I guess. And then Glacier was just hanging out. Like, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> like oh. staring into the camera, looking mean. And like <laughs> I said, Hugh Morris, awful seats. Like he couldn't even get the good spot where Booker T or Ray Mysterio was along the aisle. <laughs> He's just like peeking over people, trying to see. Like I can't see. Like, <laughs> like maybe it's first like, come, first serve. <laughs> down in front, please. <laughs> like, ain't no first come, first serve. Hugh, they know what he was doing. Hugh Morris, get your ass back there. <laughs> you know, yelling at people, trying to like, sit. I can't see, sir. Can you sit down, please? <laughs> like you all obstructed. So it just <laughs> just made him to me. It made him like a chump. But um. During their like, <laughs> we didn't even get to them any matches. Yet. This is how much we've already noticed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, t- on the call is Tony Schiavone, as we mentioned earlier, Mike Tenay, and of course our favorite Dusty Rhodes. And they had like maybe two or three, maybe five minutes even to talk about what's ahead on the card that that night. To talk a lot about you know Sting versus Hogan. Talked about other things. Talked about the referee situation, which will come into play later on. Who was going to be the referee for the match? And Tanae talked about that. And I remember Dusty Rhodes talking about his speech at the beginning was pretty cool. Like, Destiny and, you know, it brought everybody here. And it just felt yeah. it felt like he just really brought, like, damn, like, it felt, he brought, he upped the importance of it, even though we all knew it was important. He but invoked, Dusty giving his speech, it's like, damn, this is dope. Like, yeah, he invoked, this is it. He invoked horses. Got to tie these horses to the posts. Get through Tyler's those swinging the- doors, because there's a fight about to happen. <laughs> yeah. well, I even wrote that down. I wrote that down. That's how much it stuck with me. <laughs> a fight about to happen, baby. And, it, and he he kept talking about destiny, and I ha- couldn't help but yeah. think that, like, he called it even at one point a night of destiny. It's like, I feel like if Dusty Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes in his mind, was still booking Jim Crocker promotions. It's like if, if I had the book, baby, I'd call a stockade, a night of destiny. That's right. <laughs> you know, because he would call what was eighty four, the Million Dollar Challenge in eighty five, the, yeah. the Gathering, baby, and then <laughs> and then eighty six was the Night of the Skywalkers. You know, Shy Town Heat in in, in eighty seven. I forget eighty eight. Which one that was? That wasn't Future Shock. That was like nineteen ninety, I think. But. Either way, I feel like Dusty was still booking the, the territory <laughs> in his head. It's like I would call this the night of the night of destiny. That's what I would call it, baby. Night of the Skywalkers? No, night of destiny. This is destiny. You were destined to be here, baby. This would be the last uh, pay per view that he'd do play by play from beginning to end uh, for as well. That's a shame about that. That's a shame. Oh, Starcade ninety eighty Starcade eighty eight. By the way, was True Grit with two true, T's at one grit. Oh my goodness. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> from Come the Norfolk on. scope in Norfolk, Virginia, baby. And we we think WWE is bad with their names, which they are. But uh, they are <laughs> True Grit with two T's. Get out of here! Oh yeah, True Grit. I'll take True Grit over the horror show. 
that's just me. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that was just weird. That was stupid. Which, uh, but, talking about Dusty here, uh, I, for the life of me, I don't know what possessed me to, like, just not think about this in the past. But once I noticed Bobby Heenan wasn't there, I was kind of pissed. I was like, wait. Yeah. How the hell is Bobby Heenan not here? And then I actually looked it up to see if there was an issue, and I completely forgot they actually ran an angle the previous week that he was, like, joining the NWO or something. Oh, my God. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. And it was hilarious because he was great with it because he wanted to keep his job and whatever. So he was, like, kissing up to the NWO. So it, it made sense in storyline for him not to be here on commentary, but that might have actually made the show a lot worse than I thought of because we didn't hear him all night. Yeah, that's a shame. That's weird because he like yeah. he's, he was on Halloween Havoc. He was Everything. on all the other shows, yeah. and they were bringing Tanay for the cruiserweight matches, right? Or the matches that had like Japanese wrestlers, yep. and because he knew about those guys. And then you know there would be a four man booth, but yeah, I didn't. Even, I, I forgot all about that. I didn't even think right. about that when I was watching it. I was just like, "Oh, today's here." Yeah, exactly. No, Bobby Heenan was the third guy. <laughs> like, yeah, he was, and uh, who he might have made that whole thing make sense at the end. Who knows? I doubt it. <laughs> Still though, I was kind of like so taken back by it. Where I'm like, "Holy crap, Bobby Heenan's not here!" So. Uh, it just kind of with all this, you know, w, old WCW shows we've been watching recently. You know, he was always part of it, so yeah, just was weird that he wasn't here. It is weird. Um, we move on. Finally, got a match in the ring now. Not finally. It wasn't WCW's fault. We just had a lot to talk about before the <laughs> first match. It's not like what was a Halloween Havoc '98 when it took 12 minutes oh, to get a match in the ring. Uh, this was pretty short f- uh, for WCW standards. Yeah. Um, we get. Right off the top, WCW Cruiserweight World Cruiserweight Championship, Eddie Guerrero defending against Dean Malenko. And this was a very good match. But here's the thing about this match. If you just listened to the match, you wouldn't know there was a match in the ring because all the <laughs> announcers talked about was NWO controversy. Oh, what is going to be the referee? Meanwhile, these guys are working their tails off in there, busting their butts, having another classic between Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, who've had many in the past before this in the ECW uh, down in South Philly here but all they talked about was NWO and Kevin Nash where's Kevin Nash where's where's the giant and it's like (laughs) bruh like I understand like y'all had the opening of this show to talk about all that stuff get that out of your system now we're here to talk about Eddie Guerrero and Malengo, two of your best workers let's talk about this let's just let's focus on this we can in between matches we can go back to that but here, this is a cruiserweight championship of the world. Let's talk about that. Mm-mm-mm. That was just like, kind of like a uh, a microcosm of a lot of the WCW announcer issues throughout. Yeah. The, like starting here, kind of in the 98, 99, where um, they, were, they were criticized heavily for not uh, paying attention to the action that was in the ring. Uh Especially this opener with like the cruiserweight champion Eddie Guerrero is on the run of a career at this point. Uh, you know, late '97 is probably one of his best runs in his career. Honestly, you know, even though he lost to Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc, he beat him. You know, two weeks later, and he's he beat him in November, and now he's beaten Dean Malenko here. It's yeah. Eddie Guerrero is like just at the top of his game here, and all they could talk about was Kevin Nash. Where's he at? Right. It was yeah, kind of lame. It, I mean, it was frustrating. 
I'm not one to look, look again. F- love Dusty Rhodes. Love Mike. Ten- uh, I, I, I like Mike Tanay. Tanay. I love Mike Tanay. <laughs> what? I meant to say Tony Schiavone. <laughs> love Tony Schiavone. Mike Tanay was cool too. No disrespect to Mike Tanay. <laughs> that was that. That's all it was. I didn't love him as, especially didn't love him as a play-by-play in TNA. He was not. I don't think he oh was a great goodness. play-by-play. I think he was great as an analyst. Yeah. WCW. Yeah. But. Uh, so no disrespect to them personally. It's just I, I don't know if that was an edict or what. It's just I think that was the the wrong tactic to take. Yeah. Like you got these two great guys in the ring wrestling for a title. They deserved uh, more attention uh, than that. All they talked about was you know what's at stake in this in this show. It's the biggest night in the history of the sport, and it's the biggest show and the biggest match, and uh, the, the the tide will turn. The the, the, the business will change. It's like. Or D. Malenko is going to, is he's selling his knee. His knee hurts. Like, <laughs> how about Eddie Guerrero just drop kicked his knee, frog splashed his knee, and retained the Cruiserweight Championship? How about that? How about right? that? Right? Yeah. How about that? They mentioned on the show, though, one thing they mentioned uh, on this, during this match, I should say, was that D. Malenko recently had a, had a daughter, and he did. He had his first daughter Christmas, on Christmas. Uh, him and his wife. Had their eldest daughter, her name was Larissa, and she will celebrate her, I guess would be her 23rd birthday, coming up on Christmas. So, mm. how about funny, that? Funny part about that is that's why Dean Malenko was not scheduled to be here tonight, because he, <laughs> he had asked for off. Uh, I, I read this in Dave Meltzer's newsletter. Uh, he had requested off, and uh, he was apparently granted off, but... Then they started booking him in a, in a match with Eddie Guerrero. So they <laughs> like, sent a char- they sent a charter flight uh, to pick him up, and then right after this match, he was back on it to go back home. So yeah, I guess uh, you know three days after the baby is born. I mean, right. look, I've been there, and yeah. uh, you don't necessarily want to just bail. I mean, I I had to put a newspaper together the next day. I was editor in chief of my school newspaper in college, um, so I had to leave the next day, but. And I don't know if I stayed that night or something. <laughs> I don't know. But either way. Um, so, yeah. What, but three days after, it's like, all right, I'm I'm going to go make this money real quick. <laughs> yeah, I'll right. be back. <laughs> like, yeah, and he was, I'll you be know, back, though. And that match, absolutely fantastic. He probably wasn't mentally prepared to do that, but he got himself mentally prepared, and they had a great opener. And it was it was great. I, I for storyline purposes, I would have much rather seen like another match between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, especially since Rey Mysterio was apparently healthy at that point. So <laughs> we saw him in the like, stands; he was just hanging yeah, out. Yeah, uh, Starcade. You know, you figure their big stipulation match here, but now they had already moved away from Eddie and Rey. So, but Eddie and Malenko is just as good. Yeah. So, moving on from that, we get a promo on Starcade because Kevin Nash. And the Giant was supposed to have a big man match at Starcade, which would have oh, been a big man. match. I, I, so I forgot to mention this, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. Something okay. that really made me laugh, though. It took Eddie Guerrero forever to come out after his like music hit. <laughs> it and, did. <laughs> and then he's making his entrance, and Disco Inferno is pointing at his watch. He's like, <laughs> he <did>. you're late. <laughs> He's I like, didn't even know. I thought it was about the cruiserweight title. Yeah, right? but no, no, no. It, it was. You know, that is, you mentioned. I did remember that him doing that. But yeah, that's funny. What are you taking so long up. for? I was cracking. I didn't notice that before. You know, there was a couple other things that I watched. That I just watched this yesterday and today, where um, I noticed something that I never noticed before, and that was one of them. Because yeah, WCW had a knack for just 
playing the theme music and waiting until the entrance, but they would show the fans. And it took right. forever for Eddie Guerrero. It took like 30 seconds for him to come out, and then Disco they was like pointing out all the time. And they would pan over. You see that little pan shot. They, yeah. they would be late yep. on that guy coming out, too. They would miss that shot somehow. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Even though he was late. Yep. You never saw that WWF except for like a guy being late, like his music's playing and he's still not out. I think only Bret Hart did that. <laughs> like he would, he would hear his music for thirty seconds, and he would finally come out. And it's like, yeah. And apparently, yeah. the word on the street is that Bret Hart is always notoriously late for things. <laughs> like, like so. Apparently, he's always late for his entrance too. So, it's, yeah, that <laughs> that's was funny. A- I, I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that that was annoying by Bret though. I did notice that uh, through the years where he just, I think he just wanted that pop because, like, okay, yeah, the, just, the, the no, original but- pop for the theme music. And then they kind of dies down a little bit. And then 20 seconds later, it's like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> or he was running late, <laughs> like as usual. <laughs> or that. Um, I like my but, conspiracy theory. That's, that's, no, that's probably, that's, that could be it too. I mean, why not? <laughs> Milk it. Um, again, Kevin Nash and the Giant were supposed to take place in this night. Kevin Nash was injured, right? He apparently uh, was having, uh, he thought he was having a heart attack, but it was just bad acid indigestion or heartburn mm. so that's I think scary. he had checked himself into a hospital at that at that point i don't know if he was cleared by this point but clearly it was too late for him to get there mm. and for them to have a match so that was one of the f- matches i was looking forward to a lot too and i was kind of bummed yeah that out. was a big match yeah that was definitely a big match two big men big match yeah but as a way to kind of make up for that we get a promo from scott hall he does the survey. You hear the see WCW, or you hear to see the NWO, and a lot of people say NWO. Scott Hall goes one more for the good guys, you know, in this in this in this deep voice. <laughs> the announcers get so upset. Did he have hear? <laughs> did he have hearing aids? What's going on here? I, I wouldn't say that he's lying. I was like, clearly the whole crowd just yelled NWO. <laughs> but that was an issue though for NW like for WCW is that Scott Hall would come out and do the survey. And the whole crowd yells NWO, yeah. but they're supposed to be the bad guys. Yeah. So it's like, wait, wait, what's going on here? Meanwhile, the announcers sound like the sticks in the mud going, ah, they suck. It's like, what? They <laughs> seem pretty cool to me. But that was a problem with the NWO because they were cool. Yeah. And they would just, they wouldn't be afraid of the heel, the baby face. They would just go, ooh, and do the, like, the, the wiggly fingers at him. Like, oh, we're supposed to be scared. We're not scared of you. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Then they beat everybody up, and yeah, it's like, exactly. oh, no wonder they sold all those t-shirts. <laughs> they were cool as hell, and everybody liked them. It's like, <laughs> they, they were dope. <laughs> like, were we supposed to boo those guys? No. Maybe Hogan, I guess, but like, yeah. Hall and Nash? Nobody's booing, booing Hall and yeah. Nash. They were, they, they were actually cool. Hogan pretended. <laughs> like, And that's yeah. what people booed them. But Hogan, Hall and Nash were cool, at that point, at least. Um, but, you know, he does a survey. He talks trash about the Giant. The Giant comes out, choke slams the hell out of him. <laughs> and Dusty Rose loves everything he's seeing. When Dusty Rose is happy, I'm happy. Okay? Because <laughs> when he when he sees Big Show, and he goes, go go ahead and do it. Go ahead with it then. <laughs> Somebody get a shovel and get him out of here. Help me out, baby. <laughs> so, man, Dusty Rose on commentary was the best. He was the best. I... I don't think I really admired him on commentary as much as I do now, like back then. I, I wish I I wish I listened a little more uh, than I did. As a kid, you know, like 
I only pay attention to the important, meaningful stuff. So, like, Dusty going nuts wasn't, like, exactly my cup of tea back in the day. But nowadays, it's, like, the best part about it. <laughs> like, a lot of it's the best part about some of these spots that otherwise wouldn't be entertaining. It's like, okay, so Scott Hall gets power bombed. Like, who cares? And because uh, I'm not going to get to see Kevin Nash and the Giant. Like, that's what I wanted to see. That's I don't true. care. It was, a, it was a power bomb, not a choke slam, right? It was a power bomb, right? Yeah, like he he did go for he did go for the choke slam. I don't know I don't know yeah. if he did one and then the power bomb, but I but remember he definitely him, hit him with a jackknife. I remember him cho- uh, choking him, and then he goes no 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 no, and then he gets, sets him up for the power bomb, and I'm like hell yep. yeah, that's awesome. So uh, bad night speaking of power bombs, real quick, Malenko hit Eddie Guerrero with some oh, mean ass yeah. power bombs in that opening match. Like they looked horrific how do you land with these guys doing like it was all of the cruiserweights that you know they would the way they would do power bombs they it's okay kevin nash seven feet tall his power bombs look like they hurt but the there's no for as not not as much force as when these cruiserweights are doing them and they're slamming them to the mat and like Man, that whiplash or something it's like ow those were, those are the ones that i was like ooh. Like, as a, yeah. as I don't know if kid, Kevin Nash is like, hurt. I mean, he did drop people. He just straight up dropped people yeah, yeah. from seven feet high. Yeah, but. it was more about like the four. It was so much quicker. You know, Kevin Nash is more methodical. Like he's like gonna pick him up and slam, and but the cruiserweight's like pick him up, slam, like, boom, like yeah, all kinds like, of force and speed. Yeah, exactly. It was, was like, like louder, Lord. louder because it was quicker and like stronger. And, like, and then WCW mats made like cool sounds, but they, oh, yeah. the sounds they made was like pow, oh, yeah. <laughs> like oh my god. Yep. So yeah, uh, but that was that segment. Uh, it's just I guess a way to get Giant out there, just got Hall involved in something because that match didn't happen. Uh, so no, you know, can't blame WCW for that. They did what they could. Uh, next match on the card though, we got Scott Norton, Vincent, <laughs> and what was supposed to be Conan. So pretty much the NWO's B team. <laughs> and really no disrespect to Conan because he was a huge star in Mexico. But Vincent, who was apparently the director of security, which mean, which meant he just get, went out there to get beat up for everybody, which is like, just like black folks, man. We got we got to take one for the for the white people all the time, man. That's pretty much what Vincent was. Um, it's Scott Norton, who was also part of the JV squad as well. But Conan, I don't know why Conan wasn't on the show. I don't know if you he uh, has that at the same. Almost same with Dean Malenko. I don't. I don't know if his girlfriend was having a baby or had a baby, but mm. yeah, he was kind of stuck in in Mexico. Uh, she might have been going through some uh, medical issues, so he could not uh, make it back from Mexico for the show. Oh wow! I did not know that. Yeah. So according to Meltzer, cool. I, I I knew there were some issues, so I kind of I tried to research why this because the card the original card was so much better than what we actually got so I, I remember going to try and figure out why the card changed so much and you know saint malenko was his daughter and uh conan it was his girlfriend was pregnant at the time so mm. there you go but they had a good we got a good replacement though yeah and macho man randy savage who for some reason didn't have a match on the card <laughs> yeah kind of nuts huh what he's like legendary figure in the business and so, he doesn't uh, have a match I have a vincent theory. has a match vincent <laughs> and scott yeah, norton he, have a booked match he was penciled in yeah that's right but that's macho man is just like hey chilling. don't worry about it yeah you good <laughs> was he i don't 
What? So, like, was he so hurt from the start from the Halloween Havoc match? Well, I have a theory because uh, he did negotiate like a big pay for this appearance because uh, they were kind of backed into a corner. You As remember, he should. You see Scott Stoddard coming down the aisle, how pissed off he looked. So there's a rumor. There was a rumor going around that uh, Savage. Because uh, he was in this match. It was the Steiners and Ray Trailer. So <laughs> if he's in this match, he's going to get the win, and he's going to pin Scott Steiner. <laughs> that's the, that's Why the rumor is Scott going Steiner? Around. Well, because he's the biggest star on the other side. You had Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner. Was Scott was Steiner the, at that point the biggest star? Well, he was getting there. He was already jacked. He was two he months was away. Super, he was super jacked. <laughs> two months away from his heel turn. So they, I don't think they necessarily started the Steiners kind of tension at that point but uh it was cut scott had already got his haircut short so he was well on his way to uh being what he was going to be so i think savage noticed that hey scott steiner is going to be th- the most popular guy in this group at some point if he's not so there. i mean he him. was there so the rumor is that he said hey if i'm going to be in this match i pin scott steiner with my elbow and uh, apparently eric bischoff obviously has denied that uh, rumor but uh, you look yeah, at Scott Steiner coming down the aisle. Like, he's pissed. It don't even sound like Macho Man though. Like Macho Man was fighting DDP for the whole year. Well, that's true. But so this Which is my theory. Actually, been a Starcade match probably. Well, that that's my theory. DDP wound up replacing Ric Flair because Ric Flair couldn't. Mm. He was injured, so that whole Kurt Henning thing. Like so, DDP was yep. a replacement there, so they didn't have anything for Macho Man. That that's my thought mm-hmm. even though they had like their three matches the last one was a halloween havoc so technically the start if they had a starcade match it would have been the fourth match it would kind of been weird, and i think the, but, i think that would have been a time to take a ddp to win right um but you know they because they had shuffled things around they just di- kind of didn't have a place for macho man so mm. he had all the levers in the world it would seem because you know why wouldn't you want to have macho man on the card if he could but, right right so, but regardless, we hear Steiner Brothers and Ray Trailer, formerly the Big Boss yeah. Man. Uh, by the way, Rick Steiner was over. I don't know if Scott Steiner. I mean, we knew the Scott yeah. big, the bigger things to come for Scott Steiner, but Rick Steiner was big over. Like he was, but he didn't do like those high impact. Rick Steiner was. He didn't do like the high impact moves that Scott did. You know, That's they were true. like the, was, the quote unquote big spots in their tag match. He was still, so. he was super jacked, still doing it. Yeah, I saw him walk down the aisle. He was. Maybe he looked, it's like he looked bigger with the single on. I was like, holy hell, look how big <laughs> Scott Steiner is. Like, I forgot, like, you don't know, forget how big he was. But it's like he was super jacked. It's like, yeah, yeah he was definitely going to be somebody uh, very soon. And it, and, it, and it turned his whole career around. He became a main eventer after that. Yeah. And, Probably one of the best uh, heel turns ever in, in pro wrestling because when, when they did that to Scott Steiner, I was like, okay, it's stupid. That's loser crap. It's not going to work. And boom, he became like a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. I think he like should the, be a the, Hall of Famer. So. I think he should be. I think the Steiner brothers as a tag team is definitely a Hall of I Fame would, tag team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, faux show. Uh, you can put Scott Steiner in on his own if you want, but the Steiner brothers as a tag team, Rick and Scott, were both dope as Maybe the Varsity Club as a faction. Uh, would be a Hall of Fame faction, but uh, you're right about like Scott that 180 Scott Steiner did the transformation. How many people can say they did a transformation and like it really, really, really worked? Maybe I guess you could say The Rock, but even his is more. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if his is like his feels different because his he had a failed one, he right. had a failed run where the people were going to die, Rocky die, 
then they I don't I think he got hurt or something like that and they took him off yeah. TV or whatever. Yeah, he got and then hurt. he came back as a heel. But even still when he came back as a heel, he it was still a gradual climb where Scott Steiner mm-hmm. went from he was he him and the Steiner brothers were made. They were set yeah. back then. And then he just flips like overnight to the big bad booty daddy and instantly makes himself like it seemed like it, it felt like overnight. It really did. That he was like at least in the Upper main of upper mid card status, just because he cut his hair blonde, yeah. made his hair blonde. Yeah, that and, was the next night. You know, like he, the, right. super, So he turned it super brawl. He had like the black hair, black goatee, whatever. The next night, he literally shows up. It's blonde hair, blonde goatee, sunglasses. You know, it was like, who is this? You know, even the announcers were like, is that is that Scott Steiner? Like, so right. completely overhauled it in twenty four hours, and it worked for him. Like it just, it was just like a, I don't know. It just flipped so fast. <laughs> like, like I said, the rocks was like, I was still, he, he could tell the rock was growing over time. Where Scott was like, boom, instant, and he was, he was a big bad booty daddy. And I was like, damn. Like yeah. I don't know, maybe if I, I don't know if you have any other like one quick one eighties, quick changes or transformations that were as successful as Scott Steiner. Like I said, maybe the rock is in that category. Um. But I can't. I don't know. I mean, it, uh, hey, uh, I don't know if this would technically work uh, for what you're saying. But hell, Roman Reigns today is must see TV. Um, he is must see TV. I think the, the I think transformation from it's how the different. fans look at him, as far as like from an analytical and critical standpoint, mm-hmm. that's a big transformation. But I think the character that he is now, this has always kind of been in him. Yeah. And he just now, he's a bad guy with, and he's just, you know, trashing on his cousin, and he's got Paul Heyman. But I think this is always kind of, like, this isn't outside the realm of thinking for me with Roman Reigns. I think we all okay. kind of saw this with him. Okay. I don't know if people saw Scott Steiner <laughs> changing the way he did. <laughs> no, well, I sure as hell did. Even, even though when they were teasing, you know, tension between, you know, Scott and Rick and even Ted DiBiase, I didn't expect this to come of Scott Steiner, you know, after his turn and, you know, right. go on that run. So, yeah, yeah, they, you're and, absolutely right. Uh, and look, I, I think I said that on, on, on the podcast in the past. I like that Scott Steiner character. I think that character was, like, I don't know why I like that character so much. It just fit the time period maybe, too, of that late 90s period, early 2000s period. I don't know why. I just like yeah, that character. I, I thought that character was a dope character. Now, he was in WCW, and it, you know, WCW was, when he, when he was a main eventer in WCW, WCW was going down. It was definitely on a yeah. decline. Mm-hmm. And then when, by the time he got to WWE, he just didn't fit in WWE. And he had some terrible matches with Triple H, which I think was <laughs> probably a bad um, matchup. I think he could have worked with, maybe with somebody else better. Yeah. But with Triple H, it just didn't work. Two big old jacked up guys. <laughs> no, it just didn't work out too well. Maybe with somebody else, it could have worked better. Maybe with a Kurt Angle or I don't know right. who else. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels worked yeah, with anybody. Yeah, in but, 2002. You know, WWE wasn't, you know, starving for talent in 2002. So Right, they uh, had plenty of it. You know, they, brought him to Raw. they brought him to Raw and that was it. Like Right, they had Shawn Michaels. They had, yeah. you know, Chris Jericho. They had a lot of guys. Who could who could go? I think Triple H was a bad pairing, right, for Scott Steiner, and maybe he was also washed at that point. I don't know, maybe, but well, I think I he, he, was, he went to TNA. He could use in TNA, was, yeah. right? He could use in TNA. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just didn't work. Um, but I, I I don't know. I liked that character. 
as a bad guy, I don't know if it worked as a good guy, but I think I liked <laughs> him better as a heel. <laughs> I think it's because, like, you never knew what he was going to say. So, And he was so entertaining on the mic that it, it literally felt unscripted. And, I mean, it was at that time, but, like, you knew for a fact that when he got the microphone, he might say something, like, ridiculous, <laughs> crazy, like, curse and stuff like that. So, his, And that was part of his allure. His character reminded me, and this is going to sound weird when I first said it, but bear with me. His character reminded me of like a Mike Tyson, not from the fact that he could knock people out at any given time. No, that's obviously not what it is. And he wasn't box office like Mike Tyson. But in the late 90s, Mike Tyson, there was no story that was really outside the realm of possibility with Mike Tyson. Like he had tigers, he, you know, he, he had wild <laughs> parties. He literally, I heard a story where he literally, from Ed Lover, who's like a legendary DJ in, in hip hop, and he's on Yo MTV Raps, where Ed Lover went to a club in New York. And he couldn't get in because he had, didn't have to ride a tire. And then Mike Tyson's coming in at the same time. It's like, yo, we're getting in. we out here. And Mike Tyson showed up like, in a sweatsuit. And they let Mike Tyson in because he's the heavyweight champion of the world. And they party and have a great time. And then Mike Tyson loans, like, he tells Ed Lover to take my blue Bentley Azor, which I'm sure costs over six figures at that point. Take it to your house, you know, park it there. I'll come get it. I'll send my homies to come get it or something like that. And he sat there for maybe weeks in his mom's garage, in Ed Lover's mom's garage, for weeks until somebody finally came and got it and took it. But And then years later, like decades later, they meet up again and they talk about that night. And Mike Tyson was like, yo, I'm, I gave you that car. I meant for you to have that car. And he's like, what? I didn't. Your, your people came and got it. And he's like, no, I meant for you to have that. That's, like, that's an actual story for Mike Tyson. He's just giving people blue Bentleys. You know what I'm saying? Like, But that... That type of character, that that type of uh, spontaneity and just wildness, that that to me that was a Scott Steiner character. He was a guy that literally didn't he come to the ring with a tiger? Oh man, I don't even remember that. Maybe I think some, he maybe, did. Maybe at some point, yeah. Like he like he was the kind of guy that would have a a tiger as a pet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and I I don't know why I like that ti- I like that character, but I did. <laughs> I just. He did. I'm, I got pictures of it right now. He came yeah, to the ring yeah. with a tiger. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Was he with Tiger King? <laughs> Was he with one of those animal rescues? I'm sure. Man. But that's but that's my whole point. You know what I'm saying? Like I just I don't know why I like that. I thought that fit, especially that time period. I think that fit. And he was funny as all hell. Like he's got Tiger. <laughs> like, tiger with all those people. In the arena, like damn, <laughs> right? It was, it was, uh, it was. I don't know. That I, is I, nuts. Yeah, he was I definitely have... a, a crazy character, which was good in the ring. So it was like, he was definitely kind of like different for that era in a good way. Whether yeah. and like he just loved being heel, so like he didn't care if you treated him or not. He was almost like the NWO uh, was in like '96. He would, you know just say all this crap on the mic, but people would cheer him anyway. <laughs> like, I don't care <laughs> that he was making fun of them or anything. Like, yeah, I always thought Scott Steiner was awesome. I always thought he was awesome, especially that in that period. And he didn't, on this night in Starcade, he pulls out a Frankensteiner. Yeah. Hey, that was, Being super jacked, he still does a Frankensteiner. He did, yeah. That's nuts. So, that was wild. Scott Steiner um, getting his flowers right here on the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. For real, he really is. <laughs> like, it's wild to think about. But that's 2020 for you. It's a wild year. Um, one thing I noticed, by the way, Macho Man helps the NWO win the match. He pins Scott Steiner, like you said. 
But during his entrance, he's yelling at the WCW wrestlers. <laughs> and he's talking trash to them. And then he jumps at them like, ah, get out of here. And Harlem Heat is there. Stevie Ray and, and Booker T, they don't budge a, an inch. They don't move at all. Why would they? Because they're, they're Booker T and Stevie Ray. They whooped everybody's ass in the arena. <laughs> all right? They ain't scared of nobody. But Little Ray Mysterio jumped back like, oh, no. <laughs> Please don't hurt me, Mr. Savage. <laughs> he was trying to sell the moment. But T and Stephen Ray weren't having none of it. No, they was not moving an inch. <laughs> they just looked at Savage like, yeah, I sucker. <laughs> don't play around when you get your ass beat out here in these streets. <laughs> like it will happen, bro. Like, we not really we we we're not really from Harlem, but you know, we from Houston and that's still tough too. Like beat your ass out here. So, yeah, I, I found that funny in Macho Man's entrance. Um, but, yeah, that was that match. We spent most of that match talking about Scott Steiner. Which was, <laughs> we did. I, I don't mind this. I've always liked Scott Steiner. I don't know why. <laughs> I've always had, a, like, a, a weird thing for Scott Steiner and, like, why I liked his character so much. But um, I don't know if his character... Because his character worked in 2020. I don't know. Uh, I think it tough. probably... if any, It might be even funnier in 2020 because of social media. I don't know, and people would just be like, "That's true." He would be a meme, a meme, right? Haven, but like in a good way. People wouldn't dislike him. He wouldn't be like made fun of because he's he's so jacked for what he's ridiculously jacked. <laughs> <laughs> he got the blonde cut. He's wearing he's wearing like actual boots, like t- like he's wearing Tim's in the ring, <laughs> and he's out there beating people up. And he's got tigers. He's got the women. He's got his freaks and his peaks. Holla if you hear me I got your hookup yeah, Like yeah, what yeah. Scott Steiner listened to like two rap songs It's like I got the hookup That's it That's what I, I gotta I'm say like, that And <laughs> I remember being like What is even is a name Like Big Papa Pump Like <laughs> Big Papa sense. Pump What a ridiculous nickname <laughs> It was <laughs> Big Papa Pump Like come on He was He was awesome <laughs> He was so awesome I don't know, man. Big Papa Pump. But he's your hookup. Re- like, how right. How do you hear me? What? <laughs> what do you mean? Why were there in his WWE music? Why were there sirens? Wasn't that <laughs> right. in his WCW music too? The sirens? Oh, man, I don't, I don't remember. I think it was. I know Saturn had the sirens, but I don't know about Scott Oh, Saturn. God. We heard them on this night at Starcade. Uh, but no, the, 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 the police sirens. It's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know. He is awesome to me. But, um. Uh, moving on from this match, we got Mean Gene Oakland plugging the hotline. If I miss, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think he got a a piece of that revenue, the hotline revenue. Yeah, yeah. So, Rick Bischoff said that he did. So yeah, so Maybe he's definitely him, out there you know. <laughs> plugging away. Yeah. Call me up <laughs> so I can get yeah. paid out here in these streets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how much the cut was, but crazy. Hey. If it's one percent, it's one percent more than he would have had if he didn't promote That's it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that number, that um, number is in my head. One nine hundred. I don't know. Nine ninety nine hundred. That's one nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred. It's like there you go. Why does the WWE network, still call that to this day? Why do they, they? They don't delete or censor the audio, but they censor the number like on the screen. Right, I could easily <laughs> just rewind it back, bro, and copy the numbers. <laughs> 
If I really want to call it. And even if you have caption on, like it's going to come up on the caption. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, mm-hmm. WWE. But they blur out the number for some reason. So you can't read. But you- <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> By the he- way, I missed that. Well, you were telling uh, Sam Macho Man was giving some crap to Harlem Heat and Rey Mysterio, and I just rewound it back to see that because I missed it. And it is the mo- it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, if you haven't seen this, go back and watch it. He, he lunges at Mysterio, and Mysterio completely vanishes. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> he, back. he goes behind everybody, and then, he, and then Savage kicks the guardrail. <laughs> <laughs> he jumped back with the utmost fear. He's like, oh, yeah. Lord Jesus, take the wheel. Please help me. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Lord, help me. Don't hurt me, please, Mr. Savage. <laughs> Underrated meanwhile, great moment. Harlem Heat is just like, what you gonna do, yeah, sucker? That's exactly. all you got? They didn't even do anything. <laughs> we, we don't get we don't get scared of nobody. <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do with that? We're gonna beat the rest of the rest of your hairline back. What you gonna do now? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So Mean Gene eventually brings out JJ Dillon. Yep. And he said that because they mentioned earlier that that you know that all the referees were put into a hat, all the licensed referees, including Bret Hart, by the way, who they mentioned later. <laughs> but all the referees were put into a hat, and they pulled a name out of the hat for the Sting Hogan match. And the name that was pulled out of the hat was Nick Patrick. Now Nick Patrick was a referee shrouded in controversy mm-hmm. because he was known as a cr- crooked ref. Yeah, but yet his name was pulled out of the hat, and you know JJ Dillon said that I, I, I'm, you know, I believe in him. He, he hasn't shown any, me anything that says he otherwise since his suspension, and he's the referee for the match. It is now official. Nick Patrick is the referee. Okay, we got that out, out of the way. <laughs> now we move on to Goldberg versus Steve McMichael. And if you remember a Halloween Havoc show, Goldberg stole Steve McMichael's Super Bowl ring. His 1985 Bears Super Bowl 20 championship ring. Goldberg stole it and immediately put it in his pants. <laughs> Not a good place to put a Super yeah, Bowl ring. Nah. But Goldberg comes out with his iconic theme music. I'm like, damn, did he actually have his music at that point? I guess he did because it didn't sound like it was dubbed over by WWE Network. Yeah, But he had he did. it. He did have it. Yeah. But I found out recently, courtesy of the New Day's podcast, that Goldberg's theme music, his WCW theme music, was sampled by legendary reggae artist Damian Marley. And it's a song called Confrontation by Damian Marley, where it's clear as day that it's Goldberg's music, and I don't know if Goldberg's music is actually like a rec- like a normal piece of music that you might hear other places. I've never heard Goldberg's theme music anywhere, but when Goldberg is making his theme, is making his entrance. Yeah, same. Like, here. I, like, like the Hardy Boys, like the classic Hardy Boys theme. I've heard that song elsewhere. I've heard. Remember Hardcore Holly's theme music? Yeah, vaguely. But, but I, do, I do I've heard it was like generic. I've heard that song other places. So it's like, oh, maybe it's just a generic song they you know they use for him. Goldberg song, I'd never heard that anywhere. Then all of a sudden, they talk about Damian Marley's confrontation song on their podcast, and I'm like, what? 
And then, yeah, it's Goldberg's music playing in the background. <laughs> it's WCW music playing in the background of this song. So if you haven't listened to the song, look it up. Damian Marley, Confrontations. Uh, yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, that I never knew that. Well, confrontation, singular. But it's an old song. It's not like it's a new song, neither. Like, it's like, it's like years old. Interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, it's from. Let me look it up real quick. But it's not like a uh, like I said a new song. It's from 2005. Oh wow! So you know, interesting. Long gone from WWE at that point. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It was it's, it's interesting. But you know, uh, we get Goldberg coming out on this night and get him and Steve McMichael. And Goldberg meets McMichael in the aisle. And they're fighting each other right away. Apparently, they, were so, they hated each other so much that I believe Shivani said that, or maybe it was Tanae, said that they had, to have, they had to enter the arena in separate entrances. Because if they saw each other backstage, <laughs> they would have instantly broke out into a fight. That's how much they hated uh. each other. Uh, another thing they said during the match is that Steve McMichael was recently voted. I think Dusty said this that he was recently voted one of the hundred, one hundred best high school football players of all time. Which I don't know if that would be the case still to this day because I mean there's been a ton of great high school players to come along since 1997. Um, but I told y'all back in Halloween Havoc '97 that Steve McMichael was a legit beast at football. So uh, just reminding y'all. Uh, Goldberg wasn't necessarily a beast at football, at least in the NFL, but he was a beast at wrestling, you know, so he won again in this night, even though this was like his most competitive match that to this point, like he right. was just coming and they said on the commentary, he would just come in, spear people and leave. And Dusty was like, yeah, we be backstage with it already, baby. We'd be backstage already. <laughs> but Mongo put up a fight until he got put through a table. Yeah. And then that was it. Goldberg hit the jackhammer. Uh, and that was the end of the match. This is so weird. You know, they started fighting in the crowd, but then, you know, when Ma goes in the ring, Goldberg gets a table and sets it up. It's like, what, what is going on here? And it's not even, like, the right setup. Uh, it's just a lot of wackiness going on here with, with two guys that, at this point, didn't didn't have much attention to, to detail. They weren't paying too much attention to detail. So I, matches like this were everywhere back in WCW, especially with <laughs> someone like Goldberg and Mongo. It was just like crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got somebody super inexperienced in Goldberg and Mongo who was slightly more experienced, I guess, but also just not that good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. he wasn't that good no. at, at it. So, you know, but Mongo is a great football player, though. I give him that much. Yeah. Can't disrespect him on that. Wrestler, that's a different story. <laughs> uh, moving on, though, we get Raven walking out to no music. And apparently we, we hadn't seen Raven for three or four weeks, according to Mike Tanay. Uh In those three or four weeks, he was supposed to face Chris Benoit. Uh, but somehow wiggled, weaseled his way out of the matches every single time. Uh, he gets in the ring. Cuts a promo about how when he signed with WCW, he you know he stated that he was not going to conform to their rules, and instead of wrestling Benoit, he's going to have Saturn, who was part of the flock, face Benoit, you know, Boo. in his in his place. 
And that's when we get the siren music from Benoit. <laughs> Not from Benoit, from Saturn. Um, so, yeah, we get Saturn coming out. Then we get Benoit. And I, I remember writing down, I wrote down in my notes, like, Benoit's theme music didn't, was way too funky for his personality. Like, think so? was it me? I think so. He came, he's a very super serious character. But his well, theme music was kind of funky. Like, I was like, okay. I was yeah, stabbing was, my fingers to it a little bit. Yeah, nodding it was like, my head. I don't know. Can't I don't do, think that was it. I, I'm, that wasn't it. Why am I so terrible where it's in my head and I know exactly what it's sounding like, but then when I try to, you know, say words and, and make beats and stuff, it comes out nothing Man, like it. You know. struggled but with I, that. That was I might edit this out actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should. <laughs> I might people nah. should know your people should know your struggle. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean like it was just kinda like the four horsemen were done at this time, so he wasn't going to use that theme. Uh, so yeah, this. I theme, like the I song. Mean, I like it. Uh, yeah, I like the bad. song. Like I said, I was nodding my head, snapping my fingers, tapping my toe, but didn't fit Benoit at all. Eh, I mean, he wasn't like uh, Benoit. Really played to the crowd a lot, though. So, and when when yeah. you said he was like super serious, uh, you know, Dean Malenko is like the same one, like stone faced, whatever. But he never played to the crowd. So, like, his theme music was kind of like, you know, the Iceman, whatever. And, yeah, it made sense. But, like, Benoit, something happens. He would, like, talk to the crowd and they'd be like, yeah, or something like that. Just, like, let out a grunt or do the crippler, you know, like, uh, across the neck, you know, cutting the neck or whatever type thing. So, he would play to the crowd somewhat. Uh, so, yeah, like, I kind of, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it fit him all right. I, I didn't think so. I don't think this promo he cut before the match fit him either. He tried to talk like Raven. Oh, um, and he kind of stumbled over some words there. And it's like, nope, let's not do that again. That was legit. He always did. <laughs> like, he was terrible on the mic. Absolutely brutal. But he, 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 he tried to do the Raven thing this time. And it's just, nope, didn't work. Apparently, uh, Raven had an inflamed pancreas, which is the real reason Ooh. he wasn't allowed to wrestle. Flamed pancreas. How the hell does that happen? Another another match that you know they built this so well. You know Raven and Benoit, and you know yeah. I mean Benoit was going through the flocks. So I mean at this point I remember being kind of bored with him. I was like, okay, the flocks not important, whatever. But uh, you know they built Raven and Benoit really well to Starcade, and that match isn't happening either. It's like, come on, man. They were kind of they were kind of snake bitten with some injuries. Yeah. Um, uh, but they still had a chance to salvage this show later in the show. <laughs> we will talk about <laughs> they this. They did. They had a huge chance. They had a chance because the most important match was not snake bitten with injuries. They they they, they were healthy, <laughs> so no excuses there. Um, <clears throat> I wrote down that like watching this match, and I haven't seen a Benoit match in, obviously in, in a while because I just don't go out of my way to watch Benoit matches for obvious reasons. <laughs> but I watched this match and I was like. Damn, he was so good. And it's like that's what hurt that's what hurts me personally. Now, obviously the most important thing here, you know, for because of, of what he did, he took two lives, he took his own, but he ripped away two people from their families, you know, Nancy was a a mother, an aunt, a, a sister, a, a daughter, and, and and his son was, you know, grandson, you know, a, a nephew, mm-hmm. you know, a brother. <clears throat> and he ripped him away from his family, and he did this unspeakable tragedy, the, the, probably the most heinous act in the history of professional wrestling like that we can think of, like the most heinous 
tragedy, crime, whatever. So Benoit does not deserve to be celebrated. But as a wrestling fan, you I, I can't I cannot look back on his matches and his career without thinking about that. I, I would like to enjoy his in ring prowess. Because he was damn good, but I can't help but be like, damn, but he did that in 2007. And it's awful. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I can't think, help but think about that Vice documentary, The, the, the Dark Side yeah. of the Ring, which was yeah. fantastic. Two parter. I watched it with my girlfriend, and she was just like, whoa, that was heavy. Because they, mm-hmm. shout out to them, they did a fantastic job on that. And actually, some things I didn't know. I didn't know how much Eddie Guerrero's death affected him. Right. I didn't know it affected him to that extent. Yeah. But like you watch, you, you can't help but think about all that when you watch him in the ring, and you see Nancy's Nancy Benoit's sister, you know, on camera, and she's talking about losing her sister that she grew up with and that she loved, and and it's like that's a it breaks my heart honestly. My heart breaks for that family. It's still going through that to this day. That never just mm-hmm. goes away completely. And and it's like, damn, I can't, I can't enjoy it. They, they don't have their family members, and it's just like, it just, damn, Crispin, why, why did you do that, bro? It's like, I, I mean, we won't know, we'll never know. And this, I'm sure, it's a mental illness thing, among many other things, potentially. You know, they said it was like, oh, CTE and all this and that. But like, man, it's really hard still to this day to watch Crispin Wild matches without thinking about that. I can't. I know some people say you can separate the the wrestler from the human being. I I just can't. Me personally. And I guess some of those same people who separate the wrestler from the human being also want Benoit to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's like, that's never going to happen. That's, no. That should not happen. He does no. not deserve that. Mm-mm. You know, He ended the way his life ended and what he did took away his privilege. That's what it is. It's not a right that he right. should be in the WWE Hall of Fame or any Hall of Fame. It's a privilege. He That privilege has been revoked by the way he ended his life. But... It's, just, it's still, it's just like, damn, he was so... I'm watching this match with Perry Saturn, who's also very, very, very good. I think underrated Perry Saturn. It's like, damn, I just like, I was mad almost. It's like, <laughs> he was so good, and I can't fully appreciate it because of what he did. Yep. And I'm one of those where uh, I used to be able to kind of separate it and, and not... I never enjoyed a Chris Benoit match after that happened. Like, I don't... You I'm able to watch it. Like can't I'm able, fully enjoy it. No, nah, I'm able to put them on and watch it. Like I remember, I just got done watching a few episodes of Raw back from 2004, where you know their Survivor Series team, uh, Benoit, Maven, Chris Jericho, and Randy Orton beat Triple H's team, and they got to run Raw like all four weeks after that. And Chris Benoit was one of them that ran Raw. He was the GM for a night. Uh, you know, I'm able to watch that, but I'm also and I'm just looking back, and be like this POS, you know what he did, and you know, just, like I think about it. Surely I can sit through it and watch it, um, but yeah, I can't just sit back and enjoy it, you know, and be like, "Oh, Chris Benoit was so good. It's, it's so great to be able to watch this, even though he did what he did." It's like, no, I'm watching a great match and saying this POS, like you know, killed his family yeah. and himself, you know, and that's right. kind of. That's what it's always going to be for me. That's probably what it kind of would. I know everybody's different, but if if you can, I don't understand how you can completely ignore what he did 
just because he was a great wrestler. You know, it's the same reason no. why I'll never be okay with Kurt Schilling getting in the Hall of Fame. You know, like that. <laughs> no, that's a Kurt whole Schilling. other. That's a whole other. You know, topic to, to discuss. But you know, he literally, uh, real quick, he literally like was okay with saying, yeah, you know, kill journalists and stuff. You know, like it, it's ridiculous. Kurt Schilling bled through a sock. What kind of <laughs> did he? What? <laughs> what was that? that? Was he put not ketchup blood. in the sock. That was not. Blood. That was not real. <laughs> that was not real, and we believed it. Hook, line, and sinker back in the day. Yeah. But why is your ankle bleeding? <laughs> Change Get a band aid, my guy. Get yeah. a band aid, my guy. <laughs> Unreal. What are you doing? Unreal. I think people, more people, will be are like, "What? That that's kind of weird today." Absolutely. Back in two thousand four, I guess because the Red Sox was just that season was so magic, and they finally won a World yeah. Series. Yeah. You know, after I don't know how many years, a bunch of years, um, that they finally got it done. They just wanted to believe that he was out there on a bloody ankle. But why was it bloody? That doesn't make any medical sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it just hurts, it just hurts. It's not bleeding. Bleeding through the sock? And you know how much blood it takes to bleed through the sock? A thick sock too, man. Those baseball, right. those baseball stirrups ain't no joke, <laughs> bro. If he's bleeding through his sock, his he's losing blood. Like, get out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably a little woozy. But yeah. back back to what we're talking about. Like you said, you made a good analogy. And Chris Schilling. Some people, a lot of people, don't uh, you know agree with things he's done over the years, and uh. And was, he's caught up in some video game company type of stuff and whatever. Oh, yeah, he defrauded Rhode Island like millions, millions of right. people, millions of dollars. So that's too, awful. So. Um, taking money away from people who need it, but it's the same goes with Chris Benoit. And it, I know some people out there might be listening to this and they feel like, oh, he should still be in the Hall of Fame because he's a great wrestler. No, no, he should not. That is a that's a right. It is a privilege. Now, some people will say, what about OJ Simpson? He was. On trial for murder, and he's he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, bruh. He went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame about a decade, I think a decade before that whole trial went down. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna look it up real quick, but I'm pretty sure he went to the Hall of Fame in like '85. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he was. You know, he was on trial in '94, '95, something like that. Yeah, yeah '95, '94 and '95, something like that. Yeah, I do right, remember so, that specifically because uh, there were classes in my school that actually watched the trial i remember that too i'm pretty sure i was in class when the and my music teacher i was like in first grade maybe was listening to it (laughs) on the radio Oh wow! Which was getting old school. You listen to it on yeah, the radio, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> the the day of the verdict, there was actually people watching it on TV, like in my school. But my class wasn't. Of course, I was kind of pissed because I I always <laughs> missed out on that type of stuff. Cause like nine eleven, like my teacher wouldn't turn on the TV, and I'd go class from class. I didn't get to watch anything on TV until three or four hours after the first tower was struck. You know, it's like I want to know what's happening. Damn it! Anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> He listened to it on the radio, and that's crazy. Um, when the verdict came, he was like, "Pumped his fist, yes!" And this is a black man, by the way, because this is what <laughs> this is what black people did. We were super happy when um, he got uh, he, he was acquitted. Uh, but OJ, class of '85, by the way, uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But yeah, he's like, "Yes, yes, yes!" And I was like, "What, what is he so happy for?" But in hindsight, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the OJ verdict. But back back to Chris Benoit, no, no Hall of Fame, and it's it is still at least for us. I'll speak for you on this one, and you just said it. It's tough. It's tough to watch 
him, especially in this match where I thought he was just so damn good, it's tough to watch, man, without thinking about it to this day. And it's been it's been thir- over 13 years since that went down, and it's still weird to this day, man. Mm-hmm. It's... So, uh you know, I, I don't can't I can't even think of like the proper word for May because it's like I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch Chris Benoit matches, but I'm also not gonna go out of my way to not watch Chris Benoit matches. So if I'm wa- I usually watch shows, I don't watch individual right. matches. So if it just so happens like I want to watch a particular show, it's usually a show that he's not in the main event in. Um, with the exception, right, you're not, obviously, you're not watching WrestleMania, WrestleMania twenty. Yeah, exactly, all the time. Like great main event, but. You know, it was give Jim Triple Ross H, had a spectacular yeah, call. Absolutely, too. give hey Shawn Michaels and Triple H a ton of credit too. You know, they had the rematch the next month, and then Benoit had a few pay per view matches, and you know that was a great year, two thousand four. Uh, I think for Raw and SmackDown, but you know I'm not pointing to Chris Benoit as the reason. So if I watch any of those shows, he's not the reason why I watch it. So, uh, but I'm not gonna you know like fast forward through anything either. Uh, it, unless I want to, you know, it's like sometimes I'm, you know, for time purposes, I'll re- I'll fast forward through something that I don't like, but uh, most of the time I just let it play out. I've been watching some old SmackDowns uh, from late 2003 where Paul Heyman, the Brock Lesnar's beating up Chris Benoit, and then Paul Heyman says you'll never get another title shot. So, like, he's an integral part of those episodes, but there's also like a, a great undercard happening on SmackDown at that time too. And I'm enjoying that more than anything. And I'm watching those episodes. So Chris Benoit is not a huge reason why I'm watching that stuff. And he's not going to be a huge reason why I, I do or don't watch something. Yeah. Yeah. Like on this show, we didn't, I didn't skip past it. Neither. We watched it. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. I thought the match itself was good. When, whenever Benoit and Saturn were alone in the ring, I thought it was great. And yeah. then the, the the flock came in and just messing everything up. <laughs> and then Saturn did a crazy moonsault. It was like yeah. he jumped on the top rope and yeah, that was nuts. springboarded. And I was like, damn, he's super he's too big to be doing stuff like that. But he did it. Uh, it was great. Benoit was beating up all the members of the flock like he was in the action <laughs> movies, like he was Chuck Norris or something. <laughs> uh, but eventually Raven jumped in there, hit the even flow DDT. Saturn put on the Ravens rules. No <clears throat> yeah, it was flock rules. Ravens Stupid. rules. Yeah, it was stupid, um, especially on a Starcade. It's just like, what's the point? of This is yeah. a TV angle, not a Starcade angle. Right. But Savin put on the rings of Saturn and won the match. So there's that. After all that, Benoit didn't even get the win. <laughs> you know, right. After like, all that, he was fighting off people, karate kicking people and all this stuff, and didn't even win. One oh, DDT well. put him down. Mm-mm-mm. So moving on, though, we got – what they call like the the final four matches, the the big matches on the card, the, the you know the momentum matches, NWO versus WCW matches. We got Buff Bagwell representing the New World Order going up against Lex Luger representing World Championship Wrestling, or as Buff Bagwell called him during his entrance, <laughs> Lex Loser. <laughs> what? Oh. And Buff Bagwell. He set that up. Super well, creative. Too. Look, I wrote down, I was like, I got to admit, Buff Bagwell was a good heel. <laughs> he he might have been annoying for some people. He may not have been like a main event heel. He's not going to have a world title run. But he was a, I think Buff Bagwell was a good heel. He had a great look, million dollar smile, which always pisses guys off. <laughs> 
And he was just a goofball. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, right. He was he's such right. a goof. <laughs> he would come out with the, the, the top hat eventually. You know, he, he that's true. You, you say he was a goof. He didn't really take himself too seriously. Right. So, that's what made him a good heel to yeah, me. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I've never, I never was enamored with it. I was kind of like not on ever on his side, but I can see that. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. Hit it. I gotta call a space. But I thought. I thought like maybe I just. This is me. Like my weird uh, admiration for Scott Steiner's character. Maybe <laughs> hey, Buff not, was a I large say, part of it too. I, I don't think it's an admiration. It's just like I gotta acknowledge the fact. I thought Buff Bagwell was a good heel. Was he a great wrestler? Was he a main event draw? No, it was not gonna put the world title on the guy. But was he a good heel? Was he easily hateable? Yeah. <laughs> like, he did his job. So, I don't know. That's just me. Uh, what was a very heel move was at the beginning of the match, Lex Luger spit in Bagwell's face. Yeah. That's a heel move. I don't care what you do. Yeah, not great. That's not the, good. A lot of faces did that back then, too. Weird stuff. It was weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, well, they deserved it. You know, NWO deserves it, but... Mm-mm. It's like, man. <laughs> don't spit another back. person's like, face. I don't know about that. Do not spit another person's face. For all the kids out there listening, don't do that. Because yeah, you will get sucker punched in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, you want to get into a fight? Spit in somebody's face. You know, there were a lot of s- spitting in faces uh, in WWF, too. You know, you had Bret Hart spit in Shawn Michaels' face at SummerSlam. And then you had Bret Hart spit in Vince McMahon's face at Survivor right. Series. <laughs> You don't see that stuff no more, though, because it's disgusting, number one. Uh, number two, it's a pandemic. You don't want to spit in people's faces now, in particular. And three, it's just like, I don't want you like, I just, no, yeah, we, can, we can do something different. You can slap yeah. me in the face. I'd rather you just slap me in the face. <laughs> just slap me upside the head. Um, <laughs> eventually, we, have, we start having the match. Eventually, Bagwell's like, nah, forget this. I'm going to get my boy, the head of security for the NWO, Vincent, to come help me out, baby. Guy, I need some help. Vincent, come on down. And here he came out. And I was like, that's not a lot of a lot of help, but whatever. Uh we eventually got our first ref bump of the night. Um, so that was a thing. It's just <clears throat> it's really just another instance of a lot of overbooking from WCW. Something had to happen. Something had to happen. Because we didn't we get Luger got back on the torture rack, but the referee was down. So down comes Savage. He stops Luger. Luger recovers. He picks up Savage in the torture rack. But then comes Scott Norton comes down and he punches Luger with Rick Steiner's dog collar, which he had for some reason. And oh, then, was that Rick Steiner's? Uh, it was something. It was, a dog, oh, it was it, an A dog collar or I, something. Oh, wow. I said steel belt, but now that, steel looked, belt. Now that I think back, it, you, I guess it could pass off as a dog collar. I don't know what it was. He hit that him with a foreign object. That's three, three people interfering in the match <laughs> in a ref bump. Well, good. It's not even that referee f- sucked. Was that uh, Billy Pip- Silverman? Billy Silverman. Yeah, you know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I know your feelings. I'm gonna ask you a feelings about another referee later on. Okay. Because you, you you're the referee hot take guy. So all right, cool. Um, but that's this all that happened. This isn't even a semi main event. I know, right? Like, <laughs> why, why is this match important enough to get all that a loser finish attention crap? Like, I understand that NWO was really trying to put an emphasis on winning these matches. But like it's a bit much. Yeah. It's a bit much. It really is. Well, I mean, like, Luger I'm, was world heavyweight champion a few months prior. <laughs> but like, gotta keep him strong, right? Consistently <laughs> have to pour the heat on. I mean, I guess that's the point. You gotta pour more heat, get more heat, get more heat. But it's like, 
Mm. Okay, it's just a lot. It is maybe one person interfering. Way. Yeah, and Not make that three. savage. Make that savage. You know, like so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they had to go that route, but at this it's time so Luger much. had cooled off considerably, so it wasn't even like he was a top guy at this point because he wasn't. Well, he didn't get treated like one. I guess he did because it took four people to beat for Buff Bagwell to beat him. Uh, and Buff Bagwell was now, I guess, 4 0 against Lex Luger at that point because he won the match. Oh, wow. Uh, that was the whole story. They kept beating Lex Luger by hook or by crook. Kept mm. beating him. Uh, but next up on the card, we, are at, we have the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, Kurt Hennig defending against Diamond Dallas. Page and I wrote here it was nice to see that Kurt Hennig had the right belt this time. <laughs> uh, he wasn't walking around with the cruiserweight title, he had the actual United States Championship. Yeah. That's nice. Um, Dusty at one point tried to get over the Sting World Order. Uh, Tanae and Shivani they were supporting him, but I, I did not support him on that one. Dusty, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I did not, I just can't rock with you on the Sting World Order. That was oh, lame. Boy. Oh boy, the SWO, no, <clears throat> no, sorry. Mm-mm. But Randy Anderson officiated this match. <laughs> now I was curious as to your thoughts on Randy Anderson. Hmm. Since you got so many referee hot takes. It, just in general? Or because he didn't really st- seems like stand it. out to me in this match. Oh, okay. So you don't have any it, thoughts on Randy Anderson in general? Well, uh, no, I didn't know if you meant like in this match particularly or in general. Just in general. Okay. I I liked him. I, I loved his reaction to uh, when Lex Luger beat Hogan on that Nitro <laughs> to win the title. You know, he grabs his head and is like, oh, my God, he said yes. It rigged the bell. Um, his reaction at the end of this match was hilarious. Like, So he, he pinned, he, he counts the pin, and then he waves his arms off like it's no not a pin. He did. It, it was like so incomplete, weird. Incomplete signals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, and then he points, like, ring the bell, like, <laughs> so wait, what what the hell's going on? Like did Kurt kicked out? Like what? I did notice um, that. I was like, why did he do that? <laughs> I did I actually noticed that like from the moment I watched that, like live. And I was watching this pay per view live that night and that was one of the like I, I memorized that from that night and then when I saw it on watching back on the WWE network, I was just like, Man, I remember that. Like that's so funny. I remember thinking, What the hell's he doing? Um <laughs> I thought it was awesome the angle he was involved in prior to this you know with eric bischoff fired him and you know he brought his family out and because he he pinned he counted the pin for the steiner brothers that sold out in january of 97 for them to win the tag titles from the outsiders and he was there and pinned like that whole thing was great like i really enjoyed that angle um what was it uh so he was here, but then I remember, I guess he was fired again. And then Rick, when Ric Flair <laughs> was president, like he rehired him with double the salary and stuff like that. So Randy Anderson was always like an integral part of like these crazy storylines when it came to referees. So, and his reaction was always great. Like I felt like he was great. He, his facials were great. Like he, everything that he did uh, made it feel real to me. Cause maybe he was just being real. I don't know. Maybe he didn't know how to act completely like i don't know because you know he, he had a feud with nick patrick too like that was funny you know he I th- wasn't he the guy or somebody gave him like a 
quarters or something like that. He knocked out Nick Patrick, or was that uh, maybe Randy Anderson gave somebody quarters to knock out Nick Patrick or something like that. So Randy Anderson is one of the one of the few that I one of the few referees that I really like. Uh, no matter what he did, you know, he I definitely if I remember all the stuff about him, you know, from WCW, like he had to be good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they modeled the referee in one of the video games after Randy Anderson. <laughs> well, one of the like THQ pop games? Up on the, uh, no, the Aki games, I think. I don't uh, know. Uh, uh, I think it was the Aki games. You know, I was, I was looking up a screenshot of one of the games, and one of the screenshots that popped up was Wrath. <laughs> and I remember, just remembered that Wrath was one of the wrestlers sitting in the stands. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> with his leather jacket on, just <laughs> hanging out. And it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this don't make sense at all. But um, I like Randy Anderson. <laughs> hey, he was great. Yeah. I, he was, uh, he's, he's good. His reactions, like I said, the reaction to the Luger beating Hogan is one of my favorite because they even, you know, replayed it in slow motion and Luger's racking Hogan. And then you, you see Randy Anderson's obviously asking Hogan if he gives up. Hogan's not saying anything, you know, like it, I guess it's hard to tell in real time, but you clearly not saying anything. So Randy has to really know when to ring the bell and end the match and all this. So he like grabs his head and I guess that's how he wanted to sell it. Like, Oh my God, he said yes. But even though you can't tell if Hogan says yes or not, and then he turns around, rings the bell and like <laughs> the way, the way all WCW refs, they turn to the hard camera and you know, they just point at the hard camera to ring the bell. They don't point at the ring bell person. They don't, you know, they don't go that way. They just point to the hard camera. And that always made me laugh, too. Mm. It's like, you got to point to the hard camera. Well, yeah, you got to sell it to the, to the audience at home, too. Uh, w- one point in this match, DDP, who was wildly over, uh, just want to point out, he pulls, he crotches <laughs> Kurt Hennig <laughs> on the ring post. Yeah. And Dusty Rose goes, Iron Mike, in reference to Mike Tanay. Iron Mike, what do you call that, brother? Is that one of the Hurricane Runners? <laughs> and making fun of Tanay because he knew all of the moves that the hur- cruiserweights would do. Oh, it's a Hurricane Runner or yeah, Acai Moonsaw or whatever. Is that, what the is that a hurricane, one of those Hurricane Runners? What you call that, brother? I thought that was funny. But DDP yeah, won, it. you know. He did. Uh, with a diamond cutter out of nowhere. People exploded <laughs> when he hit it. Mm-hmm. And he left amongst the fans. And this is his first major ch- championship in WCW. He's new United States champion. So it's a win for WCW and a big win for DDP, who, again, probably wasn't supposed to be. He wasn't supposed to be in that match. That was supposed to be Ric Flair. Right. But it turned out good for him. And it he did. deserved it. He's DDP. He was over. Yeah. And he had probably just about his best year you know 97 he in january is when he had that big angle with the nwo where they you know gave him a shirt but then he turned on him and gave hall like the diamond cutter and you know left in the crowd and stuff like that and um that started this whole year for him so he he started it great ended it great uh and one of my favorite parts of this match was uh kind of like a i'm paying homage to tony Schiavone again with how in 97 in, in this time frame he made everything make sense now wcw saturday night was pre-taped uh, probably a few weeks in advance at this point and apparently on that so this pay-per-view starcade took place on a sunday night apparently that saturday night the night before ddp had stolen the u.s title from yep, Kurt Hennig, he did. 
And I don't remember any of this, by the way, because I didn't really watch Saturday Night that much. Uh, but Tony mentioned that when DDP got to the building, you know, they J.J. Dillon approached him and said, give me the belt back. You can't steal it. You have to earn it. And so it, they, it might have been a mix-up with production. Maybe, like, they forgot that DDP stole the title. And then when it aired, they were like, oh, shit, that's right. Like, you know, DDP is supposed to have the title, but Kurt's going to have it, you know, tomorrow night. Well, how can we do this? And maybe they did that. I don't know. But it's just one of those things where if you were watching Saturday night, you saw DDP steal the title, <laughs> and now Kurt Henning's coming out with it, and you're like, why is this happening? And then Tony just right. told you why. And that's part of why I love Tony back then, because no? if you were paying attention to the product, you were rewarded with that type of stuff, which, yep, you, you know, you're you not. In blanks. Yeah, you're not rewarded at all for paying attention. If anything, you're clowned for it. Nobody cares. It's like, yeah. I care. A lot of people care. So your audience cares. Right. Um, where you know you see other shows like Game of Thrones, they reward people for paying attention. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's get back to that WWE and wrestling in general. Please, um, please. Moving on from this though, semi-main event time. We got Larry Zbyszko, the living legend, going up against. He's representing WCW by the way. Going up against the NWO's Eric Bischoff for control of Nitro. This is pre-Thunder, so we're controlling Nitro, which are which was the hottest show in wrestling at that point. That was the top show, number one show in wrestling. And one of the top shows in cable, honestly, was WCW Monday Nitro. Uh, so the interesting thing here is that we had a special guest referee, and that was Brett the Hitman Hart. And I wrote that we're already off to a bad start with Brett because this is a little more than a month <laughs> after the Survivor Series. So after that, the, the craziest thing to happen in pro wrestling pretty much to that point, especially on a, such a public stage at Survivor Series, he's a victim and everybody loves, loves Brett. They want to support Brett. The, the first idea I got from him is be a referee. Not to, he could have, to me, come up the night after Starcade and cut a promo talking about, yeah, I'm here, I'm Bret Hart, blah, blah, blah. Something like that, maybe. No, he's a referee <laughs> in this match. Not even for the world title match, but this match. And then he's like, like impeding Larry Zabisco from beating up Eric Bischoff, which is exactly what yeah. everybody wants yeah. to see. <laughs> but he's yeah. like, no, you're choking him. No, you're doing this. And it's like, what the hell? Like, what's why? Now people don't like him. <laughs> like, yeah, and then he's not doing the same thing to when Eric's doing that to Larry, like, at the corner. He's, right. He's letting Eric just beat him up and not trying to break it. And, you know, Tony's selling this a lot. Like, what is he doing? Like, why is he letting him get away with that? <laughs> right. And then out of nowhere, he punches Eric Bischoff in the face, who <laughs> I thought had a hilarious sell. The way he sold that oh, punch, dude. he just, like, Fantastic. instantly, like, threw his head back and did a dramatic <laughs> fall. Um, but it was weird. It was super weird. This whole this Good match boy. itself, I, I I understood what they were trying to do. Um, by the way, sidetrack. Eric Bischoff, legitimate martial artist, like he legitimately yes. knew karate. Yes. Yep. And you can tell by the way he was throwing his kicks. He you could he he, had, he was an athlete. Like you can he threw those kicks with ease. Like he didn't strain. He would just go up on that one leg, pow, and throw that kick <laughs> like quick. <laughs> he was hitting, connecting with Larry Zabisco. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
He apparently so, yeah. su- suffered a legitimate knee injury too, training for this match. So he kind of hit it pretty well until Larry started working on the knee, and then I guess that was his yeah, way of being limp. able to like limp around and you know right. not not being able to. Tr- you know, I didn't even know this until uh, recently when I you know he was talking about it and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, like kudos to him for gotten through this because you know it was a it was a, like a big match on the card. You know, the future of Nitro is in the balance. I'm not sure if they had announced Thunder by this point, but um, yeah, it was like y- you got to have this match, man. <laughs> like, what are you gonna have? A, like with Kevin Nash out, you know, and Ric Flair out. Everybody and else, all hurt. those changes, like you, you can't change this match. So right. maybe that's part part of the reason why they put Brett in there. I guess, man. It, it was it was odd. Um, I just know that at one point, uh, you know, Brett. I mean, not Brett. Bischoff is. Kicking the hell out of this Zabisco, Zabisco in the corner. I said Zabisco. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's throwing these kicks, you know, and they they're, they're connecting. And he he's punching Zabisco, and eventually it's clear that Zabisco is rope doping him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't get that <laughs> at the time. I was like, "What is going on? This makes no sense." Now, as a thirty-five-year-old person i understand what what he was doing <laughs> not as a 12 year old i was now. like this makes no sense this is stupid you just take punches like that <laughs> and kicks well you gotta tire him out so. loser <laughs> <laughs> uh eventually hall loads up uh bischoff's foot with a steel plate uh when he threw the kick though that plate went flying i'm not <laughs> sure if that was on purpose or by accident but that thing went flying into the stands, and somebody probably still has that to this day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was uh, on purpose because that flew out before he even connected with Larry. <laughs> right, Brett, it so. just went flying <laughs> off the screen. Brett looked at it like, "Uh oh." <laughs> Brett was like, "Uh, what have I got myself into with this company?" <laughs> <laughs> Box number um, one that Brett was involved right. in. <laughs> one of many, and not even the last one on this night. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I said, Brett punches Bischoff. And the cell was hilarious. And then he That's beats great. up Scott Hall and yeah. puts him in a sharpshooter while Larry Zabisco chokes yeah. Eric Bischoff. <laughs> no black and then, <laughs> right. But then Bret Hart just walks over to Zabisco <laughs> yeah. and then raises his hand. He's the winner. I was like, what? Wait a second. That was super anticlimactic. Was that part of the rules? Do you, do you, are you, like, was that part of the so, rules? You could just name a winner or what? What well, was I'm, that? I'm, so. This is my thinking. He clearly saw the steel plate, so he was just biding his time <laughs> to announce a winner. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm just going to disqualify Bischoff, but not before I punch him, and not before I beat so, up Scott Hall. I'm just I'm just making sure I didn't miss anything. There were no special stipulations to this match, right? It's just like, this is a match. Right, like, yeah, it wasn't no DQ. It wasn't no count out. It was like a regular There was no, like, match. 10 count or something like that? Um. Oh, well, I mean, I guess not, because that would have happened after Bischoff hit Zabisco right. with the Right, there was plate. never a count. So he probably, right then and there, was like, oh, you just cheated. I'm going to disqualify you, but I'm going to beat you all up first. So I don't like I'm going to beat you all up first. So that was probably, like, that was what I took away from it, because I was confused, too, as a kid. I was like, wait, why is he raising Larry's hand? And I was just like, oh, he must have. If you look on Wikipedia, it says disqualification. <laughs> so, oh, okay. But when they announced the winner, like Larry Zabisco, they didn't say, like, 
disqualification. Right, via disqualification. So, um, right. I just assumed, you know, I was like, oh, because you could see Brett following the steel plate like into the crowd. You right. know what his he eyes clearly saw it and so, looked at it. I was like, whoa. So to me, I was like, okay, like he's going to just, that's why he disqualified him. So that okay. was my thought. All right. I guess. I guess they, they should have announced that. They so should have. They, like it was, yeah, it was clear because what would have happened if the steel plate stayed in his boot? Like, was Brett going to take it out? You know, like, what was supposed to Maybe happen? Maybe that was the plan. Like, he digs this boot or whatever, whatever it was, right. and it's like, yeah. hey, you got a steel plate in here. Ah, what's going on? <laughs> so, I don't know. It was weird. What it was just weird, weird stuff. Just st- unnecessary stuff. Yeah, exactly. Larry Zabisco could have just beat Eric Bischoff. Could have. And I think nobody would have batted an eye because Larry Zabisco was the wrestler, the legendary wrestler, and Eric Bischoff, even though he was a... Uh, a mixed martial, uh, not a mixed martial artist. Say he's a martial artist, new karate, so he can legitimately beat people up. Probably, they would still believe Larry Sabisco could beat him, like in a wrestling yeah. match. Yeah. So it was like you could just have him win. Bret Hart counts to three, and that's it. Not every match has to be a major angle, but they were doing that in WCW, boy. But speaking of major angles. You're listening to The Straight Shooters, featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone, giving you the best and worst in the world of professional wrestling past and present. The Straight Shooters podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of the Straight Shooters for only $2 per month by signing up at patreon.com forward slash shooters radio. You'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best. You can also listen to classic episodes of the Straight Shooters at shootersradio.com. Yeah, it's time to move on to the main event. We talked about it earlier. We did the setup earlier. Sting. Versus Hollywood Hogan for the right. World Heavyweight Championship. Greatest match in history. That's what they were building this as. The greatest, the, the most important match in professional wrestling history. Okay? Brought out Michael Buffer. You gotta bring out Michael Buffer. Sting, 18 months in the making for him to get this match. He hasn't had a match in over a year. He hadn't made an entrance to a match in over a year. So people were just waiting for that. Hogan makes his entrance, of course, with Michael Buffer, who we just saw at the Tyson Roy Jones fight. And he can still get it done with the announcing. Like it is he's not quite belting it out like he used to, like back in ninety seven, for instance. But he still get that. Let's get ready to rumble like that. He can get that out still. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds it sounds good. So shout out to Michael Buffer for that. He's still still good at what he does. But we waited all like you said all year, all year more than a year. This was the most hyped match in years in wrestling. Probably honestly, let's be honest about this. This is probably the most hyped match in, in wrestling. Since Hogan Warrior, <sighs> I mean, I wasn't alive. WrestleMania six. I mean, I wasn't. I was alive, but I wasn't following the hype. Uh, you know, but it's, 
from everything we've heard is that the hype was at a fever pitch for that. Yeah, but uh, maybe, you know, Hogan Andre, <laughs> you know, that would be my I, I would say Hogan Warrior pick. after that, though. Right, but I, w- I w- my first pick would say Hogan Andre just because that literally was, like, the biggest match of wrestling history at that point. But I'm saying um, since before yeah, this but, match, but what was the last time a match had... Eh. I don't think Hogan. I don't think I think I think Hogan Andre is bigger than this, honestly. Bigger than Hogan Sting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right, but I don't know. It's hard for me to say Hogan Warrior just because that was only built for. I know. I know. Like things were seeds were planted, but it wasn't really built. For months, I guess the build. Months months. You know. Yeah, the build for me is what does it. So it's hard for right. me to say but like Hogan. Warrior. Maybe I change change my what was a more anticipated match than this like what was the last time we had a match this anticipated in wrestling prior to this night uh probably i'm going hogan uh, warrior uh, wcw i mean wcw didn't have matches this big like they had hogan flair 94 but that wasn't what this could have been they should have did Hogan Flair ninety two uh, at WrestleMania eight, but WWF didn't have big matches like like this to this magnitude. I would say Hogan Warrior, bro, in nineteen ninety. All right, I'm sitting like, here trying to think uh, of like a funny match to say. Oh, I, I can't. Think oh, of one. I was gonna say like Doink versus do- Crush. <laughs> 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 WrestleMania nine, still one of my favorite finishes of all time. <laughs> With the double doinks. That was great. I never understood that, by the way, until, like, I was an adult. Like, years and years and years later, I was like, what, I what is an illusion? Like, what? what is that? Loved every second of it. <laughs> loved it. Like, Bobby but, Heenan, you know. Like, there are two. It's like, <laughs> oh, funny. But, but here we are. No, I mean, yeah, Hogan Warrior. Oh, I'll, go I'll go with you on that. Okay, I'm, if you got if you keep thinking about it, if you got another match, I can't think of like because it has to be something at WrestleMania or or, or Starcade or maybe a SummerSlam, but I got nothing. Brett Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12 wasn't like this. Hmm. Uh, you know, Brett Yokozuna at WrestleMania 9 wasn't like this. Like I said, Hogan <laughs> with Flair <laughs> Vader at, at Starcade 93 wasn't this big. Like, <laughs> like it was not even close. Like. And Piper Hogan? No, those matches were no, not like this. Like Starcade '96? Like no, no. I I got nothing. I'm going Hogan Warriors. The last time a match had this much hype surrounding it, mm. it's massive. So here we are, and Sting makes his entrance, and I wrote down that Sting's entrance was absolutely legendary. You had the, the, the kid or kids doing the little voiceover to the light show thing they yeah, were doing. That was, the, that was the same, by the way, the same recording that they played at Clash of the Champions. The stick was uh, with the vulture up in the rafters. It was I had, incredible. I, I had to double check that because I was like, this sounds familiar. And I didn't, I, I don't think I ever realized they were both the same exact one. So it was there yeah. and it was incredible. And. And he comes out with the the thunder sound, or cow cow, like the lightning sound, like the <laughs> fake sound, sound effects, <laughs> cow cow. <laughs> Look, what? That, that yeah, that was bad. That was really bad. You might have to edit that out too. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm leaving that one in, buddy. 
<laughs> oh man. Cow cow. Moo moo. Cow cow. <laughs> um but it was you know you know what I'm talking I'm about. The you, lightning man, on it, thunder. It, yeah, his theme was great. Cackling. Though. I love that the theme. The theme song was great. And he walks out with the pyro and the fans are going just banana, like Pat Patterson would say. <laughs> um it was crazy. Like you just felt it. Like it's like even like I said, even knowing what's going to happen. WCW did a tremendous job at making this feel like the most epic encounter ever. And I know you know, we talk about Shivani, he's probably blowing it out of proportion, saying it's the biggest wrestling match of all time. It probably wasn't that, but it, they did everything they could to make it feel like it. And I got like I got Ron Jillian's pumping. I was like, yo, this is this is it. Like this is massive. So if I feel that way in 2020, imagine how little Nick Pacone felt in 1997. <laughs> Sitting in front of his TV screen as a 12 year old watching this, I'm sure you were losing your mind. I mean, like, I was never really one to go nuts. I would just kind of sit on my couch and in my head react. Uh, I'm sure internally so, you were losing your mind. I was like, this is cool. I, I, what okay. I like, what my favorite part about this whole thing was the double camera during Sting's entrance, where you kind of had like that Hogan, like the camera on Hogan. And then Sting entering, like that was my one of the best things that they've done. Which by I didn't the way, love that. what I didn't love that. No. Oh wow. Because I figured wow that should have been more. Uh, that should have been more about Sting. The double shot is not necessary. It's a very oh, '90s wow. thing. Maybe because in 2020, oh, wow. it's like oh wow. I, I don't think anybody would like it in 2020. Oh wow. But shoot Sting's entrance, and they had a chance. They had the shot that they wanted when Sting first gets to the ring and he points and Hogan's on the turnbuckle and he yeah. points the bat on he points the bat to Hogan. Yeah. That's your shot. That's fine. You don't have to. Why do you do the double shot? Why do we have to see what Hogan sees when or look at Hogan when Sting's making his entrance? I don't. Sting I versus Hogan that. is. I mean, it's about Sting. You could have had, you know, you had Sting entering just by himself. I wanted. Then you had the double shot as he was walking down to the ring. I, did, I didn't need a double shot. I think that WWE really could do something like that Mm-mm. nowadays with big main events. Mm-mm, I don't, don't understand it. why they don't do that. It's it's it, it made it's not, it I don't so much better. For, it made it so much better. I don't think it did at all. I think mm. it's very '90s thing uh, that you might great. have seen in some it movies. Great. The only the, I don't the think issue was like the lighting, which is made what made Hogan it, like that thing maybe not look as good as it could have, but. If you just have regular lighting, like that would be great. I think it probably works in a movie, but on a live production, I don't think it worked as well. Man, you got these cameras that shoot John Morrison in slow motion during his entrance. Man, you could do the double shot. That's 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 that's, that's to me that's different. That's like that's me that's different. To me, I want to. I haven't seen Sting get ready for a match in over in over a year. All he's doing and I'm is seeing walking. Hogan's face during his entrance. All he's doing is walking. So that's what I that's, but, that's what I'm here for. I you, want to see whatever see, he does. Walk, I want to see. You seen him walking for a year and a half, and or coming down from the nah, rafters, not to uh, for a match against Hogan <laughs> at Starcade for the belt. This but is different. Like you got the the first part of the entrance when he walks out in front of the Starcade sign. I, I want to see that, and then as soon as he starts walking down to the ring, you have you already have those 20, 25 seconds of Sting just by himself, and then you do the double shot once he starts. Didn't walking we see down Hogan? During his own entrance, I know what Hogan looks like. 
I don't need to see him anymore. This is Sting's time. This is Sting's time. Can you imagine them doing it doing the Undertaker entrance at any for any match? And no, because Undertaker man- has his entrance. For Mankind, that would have been badass. Nope. Mankind rocking in the corner while the Undertaker's strolling down to the ring. You can cut to that. You don't need the double it. shot thing like, there. I don't know the technical term for that. What's the, what's the industry yeah. jargon on that <laughs> shot? Anybody? <laughs> if anybody shot. has the... Yeah, yeah. that's, that, that's probably not it. <laughs> uh, that's something we just made up. But... Uh, whatever the industry jargon on that type of shot is, let us know. Uh, we'll start using it um, <laughs> in the future. But I, no, just cut to him, or don't cut to him. It's all right. Maybe cut to him when he gets in. The, when by the time he gets to the ring, I don't know. Made it me, a lot I just, better I didn't for me. It. it made it a lot better for me. I, I didn't care for it. I will say it was unique for this match because I don't think I've seen it after this no. at all ever. No. Um. So. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't care for it. Um but then the bell rings. <laughs> and all of that epic just tone setting that WCW did, that as soon as the bell rings, they flush it all down the toilet. It's gone. From the moment the bell rung. Because here's where they went wrong. Number one. Sting didn't immediately start whooping Hogan's ass from the jump. Because that's what people <laughs> wanted to see. They wanted to see Stogan. That's St- Stogan. <laughs> Why are we putting so many people together? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. They wanted to see Sting whoop up on Hogan. Now, that's, that, that's not the whole match, obviously. You have Sting beat up on Hogan for a little bit. He gets his offense in because we haven't seen him in a year. We want to see this Sting. He looks He's a badass now. I want to see him be a badass for a good two or three or four minutes, whatever. And then Hogan cut him off. He cheats or something like that. And then he goes into his heat. Instead, they had him going back and forth, and, Ho- and Sting was selling like right away. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I waited a year just to see Sting get beat up. <laughs> Hogan got way too much offense going go, go in the early going in this match. He did, in my opinion. No, I'm no did. wrestling connoisseur, but I just feel like it was just wrong. I just didn't feel right to have Hogan get so much in on Sting in the first like five minutes. That should have been all Wait, Sting. You just said yeah. you're no wrestling connoisseur. Get out of here. I'm not like yes, from a from a from a match standpoint. Like oh, this is how you put together a match. See, like I'm not <laughs> that person. I'm not Pat Patterson. You're not a producer. You know what I'm <laughs> right. I'm not an agent. So I'm well, not gonna I'm not gonna be like that. But to me, I'm just basing it just purely off of my feeling, not like some ex, you know some extra knowledge that I have. I'm saying that for me as a fan, I would have wanted to see at least a good two or three minutes of Sting beating the hell out of Hogan because I waited a whole year for that. I waited at least I waited more than a year for that. Beat up on Hogan. Hogan cheats to cut him off. Make sure he cheats though. And then he can go into the heat where Hogan's getting up on Sting and he's Sting is selling now, whatever. Right. But it was just like, it was even. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, it was from the start, you know, like you could tell Sting didn't even look as big as he did prior to this whole angle starting a year and a, and a half in advance. Uh, you know, he had the whole bodysuit on, which made him look even smaller. So, you know, you had the announcers trying to hype him up, like, oh, he's in great shape and all this. And, you know, Sting gets a headlock on Hogan finally. And Tony Schiavone says, I can honestly say Sting has never looked better. You know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. now yeah. you're, like, pouring it on a little too thick. 
because he had already just got his ass whooped for a few minutes. Now he has right. a headlock head on Hogan. That was, it was like, come on. That was the wrong move. Hogan was the, always the the heel, like the the cowardly kind of heel, and his even in his matches, his big matches, he was still kind of a coward. Like he looked like more of a badass than he ever before. Than he did he ever did. before. He did. He looked tougher here than he did in, in the Halloween Havoc match against and Piper, who bit him on the ass. <laughs> like he's trying to run away from Piper, who was an, who's an older gentleman by that point, right. not an old yeah. man, but older, older than Sting. And he was running away from Piper, and then he's here. He's going, he's going toe to toe with Sting. He's he's not running from Sting. He's right there with him. I think that was the wrong move. To I me, think, this this guy he should be running away from this guy. He should be if anybody he should be cowering to is Sting. And we say how great the build up was to this match for like a year and a half prior. But I will say I I didn't like the fact that Hogan was the one to actually technically challenge Sting. Uh, you know, you, you should have... For, like, they could have built it differently. Like, uh, the WCW executive committee says the world title has to be defended, and you will defend it against Sting or something like that. Like, you didn't need right. Hogan to be making the challenge because, to me, that was kind of like, wait, I thought he was deathly afraid of Sting. Okay, right. well, maybe it makes sense in the fact that he thinks he's going to get help and cheat or whatever, but... That happens build every match. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like there, there's a different way they could have gone about that, and it was like uh, when they even had the press conference for the contract signing. Hogan was like, "Oh, I guess he was trying to rush it or whatever." And if Sting didn't show up at a certain time, then the contract would be null and void. And but he wound up obviously showing up and signing the contract. So, but then you have this, and it's like Hogan's beating his ass. So it's like, wait, like the build as great as it was kind of faltered towards the end just a little bit in terms of the believability factor of you know Sting being deathly afraid of, I mean of Hogan being deathly afraid of Sting but he's the one who challenged him and then now he's the one kicking his ass on Stark right. like it I understand that you, you you gotta have the babyface fight from underneath at some point uh, that's that's, that's understandable but that's why you have the right. that point in the match where maybe even have Bischoff come back out or somebody to you know, clip Sting or get his attention to where Hogan and get the referee's attention to where Hogan low blows him or something, and then he takes over from there. But that never happened. No, it was just Hogan just whooping Sting's ass. <laughs> hit he even hit him with his own bat. It's like what? <laughs> like you mean the same bat he's been he just came back with? Like this yeah. is part of his character now. This is a new part of his character. He did not walk around with a bat prior to becoming the crow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now his weapon, which is pretty much iconic by this point, even by '97 standards, it's, by, it's pretty. That's that stings back. Hogan picks it up, bam! <laughs> like, <laughs> forget you and this bat. Like what? That didn't happen right away. That's like somebody hitting the Undertaker with his urn, like two days into <laughs> his debut. Like yeah. that just didn't happen. That didn't happen for years when people started taking the urn and doing stuff with it. Here's stings bat. First night back, bam! <laughs> like you get hit with it. Like that, that shouldn't have happened. Like what's happening? And then, and then, the unthinkable happened. But I don't know what happened here. But Sting, Hogan hits the big boot, hits the leg drop. Mm. Nick Patrick counts one, two, three. No, like kick out. No, like he got he had the shoulder up. No, Hogan beat Sting, flat <laughs> out beat him. I was like, "What?" And then, 
go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I'm not I sure you say, had a reaction well, when saying, you watched this say, the first time. At least he held the tights. <laughs> I didn't the, notice that very, at all. Very little. Very little he held the tights, but he held even the tights. Even if he held the tights, Sting he wasn't still even beat trying, him. Yeah, he wasn't even trying to kick out. So uh, Nick Patrick had a perfectly normal three count. <laughs> right, because Brett, because, all right, take me through, when you were a kid, when you first oh, watched that, what goodness. did you think? I said, what? I was, my first instinct was, this sucks. And obviously, as a 12-year-old, the only thing I wanted to see was Sting win. So Bret Hart was out. And, like, really, you didn't even notice. You know, like, no. he, they didn't mention anything of it. I, was he still out there from the last match? Was he just chilling at ringside? Like, where'd he come from? Yeah. The crowd didn't really react nope. to, to, like, someone coming down the aisle. So I'm assuming he was already down there. But even during the entrances of Hogan and Sting, you know, you didn't see him around the ring. Maybe they purposely shot around that. But then he's there, and he's grabbing the, the thing. And I'm just like, what's he? Wait. Okay, well, he's a good guy. I know he's a good guy, so he clearly doesn't want Hogan to win. And then once he said that was a fast count, I was like, okay, then I, obviously I missed the fast count. Like, that was but my first No, thought. you did not miss the fast count <laughs> now, because Nick again. Patrick had a perfectly normal count. <laughs> one, two, three. He did not go one, two, three. And then Bret Hart, so did Nick Patrick forget to fast count? Yeah, yeah. It, or something? So what I'm the honestly, hell? I'm taping this, so... I, and I can't rewind live pay-per-view, so I'm like, okay, like after the pay-per-view's over, I'll rewind it or whatever. I clearly missed the fast count, so whatever. Uh, then he punches Nick Patrick, and I'm, I'm just like, okay, Nick Patrick's clearly not a good referee. He's back in the NWO's pocket, so Bret Hart's here as a referee. And they even announced it on TV once Bret went and grabbed Hogan and threw him back in the ring. He's here as a referee, isn't he? So I'm like, oh, sweet, Bret's going to referee the end of this match. Sting's going to win. And that's going to be that. So that was like, that's how I process things as, as a 12-year-old watching this live. Right. Uh, At the end of the day, you just happening. wanted to see Sting win. By hook or by crook, Sting Correct. had to yeah. win. I didn't care how bad it looked. At the time, you know, I'm 12. I'm not sitting here thinking that, oh, they screwed Sting so badly. Uh, you know, obviously the Montreal Screwjob was on my mind. So to me, it was like Brett's trying to prevent another Screwjob. Uh, but it really wasn't a screw job. But it wasn't a screw job. <laughs> <laughs> it so wasn't. It literally, was no I, I went count. back, and I, it was 97, so I had a TV in my room, a built-in VCR. So I remember, like, my friend went home or whatever after the pay-per-view. I went upstairs, I watched the tape, and I remember watching it, and I was like, I mean, that's not a fast count to, to what I'm used to in wrestling as a fast count. So I was confused. I really was confused. Uh and obviously they played into it, you know, the next night on Nitro and then whatever, and Thunder. But at that moment, I was just happy Sting had won. You know, we'll get into whatever happened, you know, after this. But when Brett threw Hogan back in the ring and got in there, rang the bell, uh, I was like happy. I was like, okay, so that wasn't the finish, thank God. <laughs> Man. <sighs> So, <laughs> so St Hogan beats Sting. You ruined this angle just from that. I know maybe it was supposed to be a fast count. It was not a fast count <laughs> at all. So they've already messed that up. Then Brett comes out, like you said, prevents the bell from ringing. Now, I didn't know. 
that the match doesn't officially end. I mean, did you need the bell ringing to officially end it? The referee counted and said, hey, ring the <laughs> bell. So, like, that means it's over, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's still over. The bell ringing is it's not official until the bell rings, apparently. Well, that's what happened because the bell didn't ring. The match didn't end. And then first night in the promotion, Bret Hart is punching out referees. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Okay, the baby face guy just punching out poor innocent referees. Okay, first night in. But then they restart the match. How is the match being restarted if it technically never ended because the bell didn't ring? <laughs> Why stop the bell from ringing if it doesn't even matter? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, and then immediately Sting gets in there. He Brett gets into the referee. He hits a couple stinger splashes. He puts on a scorpion death lock. Mm-hmm. Hogan gives up, and Bret Hart rings the bell. Now he doesn't physically do it. He signals to ring the bell. The bell actually rings a bunch this time. It's like seven <laughs> times. It's like ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> and then Brett is looking for the bell. Like where's the belt? Like what the hell? <laughs> In WWF they had the belt right ready for me. Yeah. Here I can't even find it. <laughs> He finally gets it, gives it to Sting. Sting is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. WCW finally has his title back. And how do we celebrate? With a bunch of wrestlers in the ring, including Wrath with his leather jacket. Wrath is happy. Wrath is happy. His name is Wrath, but he's happy. That's right. That Sting is champion. <laughs> That's right. And Giant hoisting up Sting. No fireworks, no music, no confetti. <laughs> Just Sting that's and a true. bunch of other WCW wrestlers, and that's how we went out there. This massive moment. This is the culmination of an entire year. Larry Zbyszko got fireworks. Sting's entrance got fireworks. Uh, who else? Um, Hogan, I think. I, Sting winning the world championship doesn't get some confetti or fireworks or something. Not even music. <laughs> it's just complete silence. I guess weird. they I guess they didn't think Sting was gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. It was just weird. And it's just like that it was just a fitting I, end I a, to a very odd and just like I said, such a culmination such a culminating moment. This was it. You built for this long. This should be the grand finale. And of course the next day you start anew. But this should be a crescendo. This should be you know, the end of a concert, you hear all the instruments going. At the end of a fireworks show, that's when they threw all the fireworks at you at once. Boom, 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 boom. The lasting impression. And it's massive. And it's, it's craziness. It's chaos. Control chaos. And this was just Sting's world champion. Yay. Good night. <laughs> and it's just like, what? Why? What? That's it? I waited 18 months for that. That was the biggest moment in wrestling history. <laughs> so, I actually had a bigger problem with one punch taking out Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton than I did with the fast count. Because two punches, they're they're gone. And then they're like walking to the back. <laughs> I was like, what the hell's going on here? Like, Why aren't they trying to get back in the ring and like where was that, Vincent? <laughs> where was the head of security? He's the head of security. <laughs> He's the director of security. Like, where the hell is Vincent? Like, uh, I just it didn't make that made less sense than that 
fast count that faux fast count no that um, fast count was that's the worst <laughs> that killed everything that killed everything so and then you have sting you know putting the scorpion deathlock he's like tony shivani's like he's gonna bring back the scorpion deathlock and then he's pointing at bret hart and to me i'm just like no it's a sharpshooter like he's pointing to Brett. <laughs> he, he's pointing to brett because he's gonna put him in the sharpshooter it's the same damn move now i do not know technically i, I think i've read that sting actually started using the scorpion deathlock first but i don't know i know brett hart started using it when he was a singles wrestler but uh that was in 91 so i'm not sure like technically who used it first it, i mean I, i'm willing to bet sting did if people say sting did because it was like whatever did, but didn't sting use it at the first class of the champions i don't even Doesn't remember that, wasn't it a scorpion deathlock i don't remember what, I know time we, expired we, we talked about we, we talked about that i don't even remember <laughs> i'm pretty sure he had him in a scorpion deathlock had rick flair in a scorpion deathlock as that was time expired right? that was yeah so 88 80, um, 88 yeah so yeah i mean like to me, a uh, twelve-year-old, I don't know that all that history at that point. So I'm like, oh, he's pointing at Brett because he's gonna put him in the sharpshooter, and Brett was screwed in this move, so he's not gonna be screwed tonight. <laughs> it's like, obviously, I was like, Hogan's gonna give up, and Brett's gonna ring the bell, and then it actually happened. I was like, thank God. Like, okay, Sting's the champion. All is right with the world. I don't care how it happened. Uh, everybody came to, to celebrate. Same exact type of thing that happened when Lex Luger won in August. So I will say. I do still like the fact that that moment happened on Nitro with Luger winning, but it would have been so much cooler if this was the first time we had seen something like that. Exactly. Where Sting won and then everyone celebrated in the ring, good and bad, uh, you know, referees, whatever. Like, that would have been really cool. And uh, I DDP joins, like, after, like, must have been just out of the shower. Like, he joined late, you know, he comes in while Sting's, like, in the corner holding the title up and Brett DDP's all wet and crap. So he's like, must have just got out of the shower. I don't know. So uh, that part was funny. Uh, just everything about it was kind of like funny looking back to where, you know, as a 12 year old, I was like, just, I was like, thank God. And I was like, Sting's going to be champion for a while now. <laughs> and, ha! You know, yeah, that didn't happen. But I did. No, I did also notice something that I did not notice before. In all the was times it, I've watched this paper, tell me, tell God. me, it was Sting yelling into the camera, something, something, Mama no, no, Yeah, no, I, I noticed that right away. <laughs> I was like, what is? It? And then was it today? It was like, is that English or Spanish? Like, yeah, no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I, don't know. I was like, he didn't would have known what he said, but I remember, I do remember rewinding that and trying to figure out what he said, but uh, I just could I never say, get it. Like, yeah, that's no, odd for him to say yeah. right now, right? So. Uh, but I did notice in the background, I think in the beginning, I used to think it was James Vandenberg, and I don't know why, but I realized, you know, today watching it, it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, with the American si- flag. Yeah, sitting on the corner <laughs> with the American in the flag. In the tuxedo. In the tuxedo. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, I, I do remember seeing that before, but I, for some reason, I thought it was James Vandenberg. And I... I, I I mean, you noticed that. Did he look like James Vandenberg to you at all? No, that was that was Hacksaw. <laughs> right, so I'm just an idiot. I, I saw the American but, flag. I'm like, who the hell has the American This yeah, isn't exactly. about America. <laughs> but, oh, wait. Just Hacksaw Jim Duggan's probably there. Of course he has the American flag. And yeah. lo and behold, yeah. it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> so I noticed that. And then on the other turnbuckle, Bret Hart starts sitting up there. And he actually has the Canadian flag. So like, <laughs> but he he doesn't have a pole. Like he just has it hanging on his shoulder. So he's got Bret Hart's got the Canadian flag on one turnbuckle. Hacksaw Jim Duggan's waving the American flag on the 
opposite turnbuckle. And, you know, the camera's focused on Sting and everybody in the ring. So they they go to that, that shot after Sting says that Mamacita, whatever he said. And that shot, you see Hacksaw Jim Duggan get off the turnbuckle with the flag. And he walks over to the other side where Bret Hart is. You see Bret Hart get down off the turnbuckle and they both hug and this is all happening in the background and i never noticed this before and, and they hug and to me it finally put an end to the usa canada wwf angle wcw ended a wwf angle in december at starcade that's what you took away from that absolutely wow bigger than stings win the usa canada feud was then over Hacksaw hugging Brett. It was it was it, it was heartwarming, man. You got to go back and watch it if you missed it. Heartwarming. I'm sure it was <laughs> for you. I'm sure that was the first time Hacksaw saw Brett too, since he left WWF. Because you know Hacksaw was in WCW since '94, and I'm not. I mean, Brett showed up on Nitro before. I, I don't know if Hacksaw was at a bunch of Nitros at that point, so. I don't know, it's heartwarming well, seeing them hug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, that um, was the biggest takeaway from Starcade 97. That shouldn't be, but apparently it is. Uh, but that's Starcade 97, and things were still pretty good for WCW at some points. You know, Goldberg winning the title was good, you know, going on his streak and whatnot. But you can see the cracks in the foundation, and it started on this night with just horrible, horrible decisions. This is this was egregious, and the thing that was egregious to me, it was so easy. They had done all the work necessary to put in for this match. All they had to do was have the match and have Sting win. The, the, this night was easy. There was no creativity needed for this match. You know what I'm saying? Like... All the creativity happens before Starcade. That's when you're really putting your thinking hat on and you're really using your creative energy to come up with a with a with a fascinating story and in, in, in a you know story that keeps people watching every single week. You know, and, and captivates people every single week. And then once you you build it, you do all that just to get to this night. So because you, you know what's going to happen on this night, you. Book backwards, right? That's what they say. You book backwards. You start knowing that Sting's going to win. Okay, boom. That's the easy thing. Put that at the top of the board. Sting beats Hogan for world title. Put a line underneath that. You're done with that. Because that's all that needs to be said about that night. Now, how do we get to this point? That's where the hard work is. But they made that hard, too. They Like, what? You didn't have to do anything. <laughs> it's like you put a nice... You, you, you do all the work to cook a nice steak. Right, you season the meat up right. You you cook it to just to the perfect temperature, right? And then you throw a mountain of ketchup on it and you just ruin it at the end. Like as soon as it's done, you're about to eat it. You know what this needs? A whole bunch of Heinz ketchup. Just dump it on there. It's like now you just ruin this steak forever. Well, I guess there goes our Heinz sponsorship. No, no, no. Heinz ketchup is good regardless, (laughs) but you don't put it on a steak. I think even Heinz would agree with that. But you, you, you see what I'm saying? It's just yeah, like no, absolutely. It, that part was so is right there. They had the bag, and they could have. 
even if they took the title off him like they eventually did very quickly, that night was a special night. That moment was special. They could have been making money off of that forever. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating. It's It's out of business. (laughs) It's super frustrating. (laughs) And they're not because they're out of business. Like, damn. Right. But, like, that's that's it. Like, it's frustrating. That that was, man, that was it, man. You got, you you can't lead, do the whole buildup and then ruin that payoff. That payoff has to hit, too. And it did not hit. Yeah, you think that even though Bischoff has gone on record saying Sting wasn't in great shape physically, clearly his body wasn't, you know, you saw that bodysuit, like he didn't look like the Sting of old for, for sure physically. Hogan looked a lot bigger than he did, like way bigger than I had thought uh, even years prior when Sting and him were wrestling side by side, you know. And obviously that was, you know, Sting wasn't in the best shape obviously but you still make that moment like as not difficult as possible like just because he doesn't look the part right now no you still have a beat hogan you still have the payoff and then down the road if he can't carry the title if he can't wrestle the way you want him to wrestle then you just take the belt off him you don't have this whole you know rematch the next night and then you know, vacate the title and then have another rematch two months from now and only to take, you know, have Sting win that one, which I'm sure he's in better shape at that point two months down the road. But then, you you know, two months later, you just take it off him again. Like, it just, it, it made no sense after this. You know, this was the beginning of the end. It truly was. It really was. It just, it just, like you said, regardless of what shape he was in, that moment still has to be special. This is your biggest moment of the year. Yeah. This is your biggest match, your biggest show. You hyped it up. You told us it's the biggest match of all time, and we felt that we believed it. We bought in. You can't drop that ball. You can't. If this was Slamboree, maybe. <laughs> but not at Starcade. Not after 18 months of and build. Imagine them no. building an angle like this for Slamboree. <laughs> well, it wouldn't happen. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> the stars aligned for this to be that moment. That storybook ending that I, I think should happen on an annual basis at WrestleMania, Starcade had it. And how many times have they honestly, how many memorable Starcade endings can you really look at? Like Starcade '85 with Dusty beating Ric Flair, maybe even though that didn't really count. I don't, I don't think. I think Dusty that was a Dusty finish. Uh, but Flair beating Harley Race at the first Starcade, Flair beating Vader at '93. Um, put, name another one. Uh, like they should happen Hogan every year for me. Hogan beating Flair at Bash of the Beach. <laughs> I said I said Star Arcade. That was the biggest show. Oh, I thought you were, you said match. My bad. No, just start, just specifically Star Arcade, and I think hey, WrestleMania Nash and Goldberg. No, not that that storybook. <laughs> Happy ending that that would not count, <laughs> but you but you get what I'm saying though. Like yeah, yeah. they had it; it was right there. Like it, I don't know if it's easy to create. I think you should try to create it every year, but they had it. They had it right there. Just all you gotta do is count your money on that night, because you've already made you already put in the work to make the money. And the crazy part about even how God. bad this flopped. They, they, I think, I honestly believe they lived all this for another year or an, and a half or so because 
1998 was their best year, and it all was not as great as you know we look back and that's when nitro went three hours then you had thunder and everything started to become watered down you had brought in ultimate warrior for a terrible run and yet they oh, still God. made way more money in 98 than they did in 97 yeah because this was and the biggest this was why business they did like this build you know they they literally lived off it for like another year and a half before 99 and they they just started going down and also wrestling was super hot for both companies yeah Goldberg was the man, you know, as Bobby Heenan would say. Um, so, yeah, it's just missed opportunity on this night um, for WCW. And, they, and, again, kudos to them for putting in all that work. They did all the work, all the storytelling. They hit on pretty much every note except maybe Luger winning in August <laughs> within, <laughs> within the title. Even though it was a big moment, but, like, it didn't really make sense. If you want the Sting moment to feel massive, he shouldn't have lost at any point. Um, but they fumbled the bag. <laughs> I'll say it again. <laughs> they fumbled it on this night. And I think that it sent it, it, it they they I don't know if they ever really fully recovered. And then they did it again the next year with Goldberg and, and Nash. And I was like, bruh, to me, how I would have played it to me, and this is fantasy booking, you know, obviously. Sting beats Hogan clean, boom, clean as a sheet. He beats him, done. Hogan doesn't get any help during the match. So he's mad about the NWO not helping him. Now, if you want to do that whole red and black versus black and white thing, you could still do that, but away from the world title. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. they're they're showing cracks from within. That would have been eventually, I don't know if you really want to do the red, the, the Wolfpack versus Hollywood. You can, to me, the, the beginning that... Dark at 97 would have been the beginning of the end of the NWO. The beginning of the end. I know they made a lot of money off of it, and they probably wanted to keep it going just for that, but I would have played that out probably to next year's Starcade. You know what I'm saying? We get to, to have the cracks in the foundation, and then maybe Hogan and Nash have their match, which I don't know. We didn't. We had the finger poke of doom, but did they really have a <laughs> real match? Like they, they did like later down the road when Hulk Hogan was back in like his red and yellow. But I'm talking black and white NWO versus red and black Nash. Uh, I don't think we ever really had that. No, because by that so by that point, yeah, the NWOs were both like done. Right. So you could have had that culminate for control of the NWO name or whatever the case may be at '98 Starcade. Sting, meanwhile, he eventually, I think, I guess he drops it to. Uh, Goldberg, I guess at some point, because Goldberg was on the come up. He probably doesn't drop it to me. That same night that he that Goldberg won the title at in the, in the Georgia Dome, mm-hmm. is a that could have been Sting. He losing it to Sting, mm-hmm. to me. Goldberg, and I know the two baby faces, but Goldberg was oh, was work. a title wave. You couldn't stop face versus face. Could have definitely still worked. Right, and, but again, and because Goldberg was a title wave that you just couldn't stop, it to me is fine, right. And then maybe you move that along. You know, Sting goes maybe if he does something else. Maybe he that's when he faces Bret Hart. You know, he gets Bret Hart at Starcade, and maybe you go with DDP and Goldberg at Starcade because that was a massive match. I don't know something like that. But then instead, we got <laughs> Kevin Nash dumping like thirty people out of the ring in World War Three, and he cattle prods or Scott Hall cattle prods Goldberg to end the streak. At 
Starcade, and then that was it. That was really the end. That was really it, because '99 hit and there was nothing. And I know that's when DDP finally won the title in '99, <laughs> yeah. and that was good for him. But I was out. Maybe that, that point. was right. That's what I'm saying. People weren't really rocking with WCW by that point. Big moment for DDP, and he won I think two more world titles or something like that. But no, it was done. They just there's a missed opportunity, man. So that's um, Starcade nineteen ninety seven. Any final words if, here before we wrap it up? If it wasn't for that night, they wouldn't have had to change the logo and change the Nitro set to make it even worse. Because <laughs> by the way, the first logo Nitro set was like the best. <laughs> you know, it's not a classic WCW. So I'm frustrated that they didn't stick with it. That's all. Well, that makes sense. I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> By the way, I I absolutely dig Star K logo. They went with the blue motif this year. S- logo on the mat, the yellow turnbuckles. It was just awesome. Kurt Henning always wearing the tights that uh, match with the theme of the pay per view and the colors. You know, he had the orange and black at Halloween Havoc, and on this pay per view, he had the blue and blue and black, which. Went nicely with the logo. Big props to Kurt Heading for always trying to look the part. <laughs> no props to WCW for dropping the ball on this night, but uh, no, especially with what, it up. what would have been a, such a great lineup. By the way, like the it original card, yeah. it, it might have actually been the best pay per view in wrestling history uh, if that card it, stayed there. And there and. That's not WCW's fault. That's injuries. And that's, no, that's, I, that's I agree. Unfortunate. I agree. And, you know, they did but. the best they could, but I'm just looking as a, as a fan standpoint of what the original plan was and literally everything was built perfectly for that night. And yeah. then injuries it happened. Was. And I was like, damn, like what could have been? Yeah, it, it was. They did a good job leading up to it, but mm. not after, not during and after. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, let's wrap up this week's episode with some plugs, please, Nick. All right, you can follow me at Nick Picone on Twitter. Follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. And we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. You can listen to this podcast at PhillyInfluencer.com along with other Philadelphia sports takes and goings-on around the city, virtually, that is, at PhillyInfluencer.com. And you can check this podcast at, out also at PhillyVoice.com. I am at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. Uh, if you can't find me there, you might be able to find me out here in these streets, but not too much because, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So stay home, damn it. Um, you can find my writing at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I got a big story coming out tomorrow. It's one of those long forms. It's about the 25th anniversary of our win over the Cowboys in 1995. You recall when we stopped them on fourth down, not once. But twice. You re- remember that game, Nick? Nope. You familiar? Nope. Wasn't watching well, uh, football then. Well, check it out tomorrow because I go <laughs> in depth and you can watch. There's, there's also, you can watch the highlights on um, on YouTube, I should say. NFL Throwback Channel. You actually go back. It's like a 15-minute highlight. The NFL Throwback Channel is pretty dope, by the way. Um, so, shout out to NFL Throwback, whoever wants that YouTube channel. But they have like a they have like 15, 20-minute highlight clips of classic games and that that one is up there so if you want to refresh your memory uh go check it out i got this long form story coming out tomorrow philadelphiaeagles.com 25th anniversary of the game is tomorrow december 10th we're recording this december 9th 
Uh, I interviewed Merrill Reese, interviewed Calvin Williams, who's a wide receiver, interviewed Bobby Taylor. I go really in-depth about that season, hiring Ray Rhodes, the, the game itself. So check it out, uh, PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Check it out tomorrow. Speaking of NFL throwback, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. They put up a game from 98. It was the Buccaneers versus the Vikings. It was the Vikings' only regular season loss that year. Remember that, that year, that's the year they went 15-1. Hmm. And Is Randall their quarterback? Yes, that's nice. that's Randall Cunningham. That's Randy Moss's rookie year. Mm. And Riddell Anthony for the Buccaneers wide receiver scores a touchdown in that game. And as soon as he scored a touchdown, he started doing a dance. And I jumped out of my chair. I was like leaning under the Caprio meme. Like, <laughs> I know that dance. He was doing the Alex Wright dance uh. after he scored a touchdown. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know that. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, Man, wrestling was really, really, really hot in 98 to the point that Alex Wright's dance was on TV. When (laughs) was the last time you saw anybody in sports do anything wrestling related, like Uh, wrestling today? Not like like Steve Austin or The Rock or something like that, something from back in the day. I'm talking about today. No one is impersonating Seth Rollins. No one's impersonating (laughs) Kenny Omega. No one's impersonating Roman Reigns or Bray Wyatt when they score a touchdown. (laughs) They're not doing any of that. They, no. they, they might still do something from back in the day to this day but back then Alex Wright was getting love on football Man. games from Riddell Anthony doing the Alex Wright dance I was like oh <laughs> so that's how I'm in this show talk about <laughs> Alex Wright that's Wonderkind uh, that's Wonderkind Wonderkind I don't know um, but yeah uh, shout out to Alex Wright yeah so who by the way missed Star K97 because he had an aneurysm I had read so oh wow he, he was sitting in the stands yeah. Well, maybe that's why he wasn't he wasn't uh competing, I should say. So. Mm. Uh, that's scary, that's man. Glad, glad wow. he was okay. And yeah. I did enjoy so. his work as Berlin, by the way. So I always, did not. Oh, always a big uh, Alex Wright fan. I was, but I did not enjoy Berlin. But yeah, just a cool uh, look. I don't mean I did I miss something? Was it a bad character? I didn't even know. I don't know. I just didn't care for it. I liked the I just liked the look with his hair and he had a different look and so if it, if it was an offensive character, I'm sorry. I didn't really. No, no, I don't know. It, was, it might have been offensive. I don't remember. I just was like, I don't care. That's I, t- I checked out of the WCW by that point. Yeah, that, that was uh, the time where I would record it in my mom's room and then just go watch Raw. <laughs> and not and not, not watch Nitro after the fact. I would not I, watch I, I'd much rather prefer watch to watch uh, Das Wunderkin yeah, doing the dance. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Yeah. So... But that's it for episode 263 of the Straight Shooters. Make sure to also check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash shootersradio. If you've got a request for a deep dive in the future, hit us up on there. It's only $2 a month to check us out. Check us out some exclusive content that we have on Patreon, patreon.com slash shootersradio. For Nick McCone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 263, and we'll catch y'all again next week. Peace.